Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? Riddle me this. How long will tonight's show go? <laughs> I guess that's not a riddle, but still. <laughs> it, it, true. That's really more of a just like, you know. That's a, actually, it's a question. So it, was even, it is a it, question. There you go. Oh, so, clever. <laughs> it's clever. <so> appropriate. <laughs> well played. It's almost a puzzle, if you will. Oh. Oh, chock-a-blocka ridiculous puns here, kind of high-quality comedy that hopefully the new Dan Jurgens fans have come to the show now and respecting. Sad, sadly, none of this was scripted either, even though it sounds that bad. Um, folks, we are back for another episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and we are damn glad to be here. Uh, i got to tell you, this issue holds some special memories for me. This is one of the ones that I must have read cover to cover too much as a child. Because as we go through, I've got some formative memories tied into this thing, man. So I'm excited. I'm excited. I became a man reading this issue. <laughs> no, that was last issue with uh, with Phantom Girl. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, as, as apparently in the comments, quite a few other people became men. I don't want to read that one comment. I'm going to let I you know. I know. It. It's not, it won't be verbalized. But for the, for, those, for the one of you that actually came right out and said it, thanks so much for that visualization. <laughs> anyway, folks. Um, we are here to talk again about who's who, but first we are going to give thanks to our sponsor, InStock Trades. InStock Trades is your best online source for hardcovers, trades, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off, with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Um, Rob, what you got? Uh, considering how much crap you gave me last month for not picking a book related to Who's Who, I decided to <laughs> flip it and I'll do something directly from Who's Who this time. This is Batman Illustrated by Neil Adams, Street Paperback, Volume 3. The mm. final volume collecting Neil Adams' Batman covers and stories from Batman's 232, 234, 237, 243, 245, and 251. Um, it also it features stories of, uh, starring Two-Face, Joker, and more, plus stories created for the Peter Pan Records and uh, a uh. section showcasing advertising and custom comics work. But the reason I'm picking this is, of course, it is features the first appearance of Raish Agul, who we will get to in this uh, issue. Written well, by, I, yes, written by Denny O'Neill and others. Artist, of course, Neil Adams. Uh, page count 280. Normal price is 24.99. In stock trades price, 13.74. 45% off. Tons of good, classic 70s Batman by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Can't beat it. That's great. Okay. Well, mine's, I didn't go real too far, uh, far afield for this one because we probably used it before, but it, it's a favorite and it's applicable. I picked Showcase Presents All-Star Squadron Volume 1. You know, we've got Robot Man in this issue from All-Star Squadron, and how can I not do this? So, folks, if, um, if you haven't read All-Star Squadron, but you've heard us ramble on about it so many times, you've got to pick this up. It collects uh, their appearance in Justice League of America, the kind of the teaser, as well as the first 18 issues of the series. You're talking Writing by Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway. All right? Nothing wrong with that, folks. Art by Rick Butler, Dick Giordano, Jerry Ordway, Yay. Don Heck, Adrian Gonzalez. 
A cover by Joe Kubert? Come Whoa. on! <laughs> I know! Page count, 528 pages. Uh, you can normally list for $19.99. You can get it for $10.99, which is 45% off. That is pretty sweet. So... Folks, pick up both of those books, would you? And tell you what, when you go to In Stock Trades, go up to the little Contact Us um, little button or whatever. Tell them that the Fire and Water Podcast um, sent them. Fits you, okay? Yeah. Uh, so, again, folks, please visit InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. All right, uh, folks, if this is your first time coming to Who's Who, go back and listen to some of the previous episodes, and I'll tell you all about it. Um, I know I, I got I got some flag from Michael Bailey. <laughs> I give the same like block of text every who's who. So I will touch on a little bit of it that I feel is necessary. The goal of this podcast is for us to go over the issue without you needing it in front of you. That is our goal. And, and in fact, to help you out, if you if you don't have the issue, we're going to post about ten to fifteen of these to our Tumblr. Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You could just record that soundbite and insert it, probably. But anyway, um, and basically, as we describe these entries, folks, you got what you need to understand is it's got a primarily uh, a color image in the front of the character. In the background, it's got little bits of the character's life, whatever, in in a single color called a serpent. It's going to have a close up of their face about their mask, something about their powers or origin, whatever. Uh, and then you've got a block of text that tells you all their history and their personal data and all that stuff. So go out there and check out our Tumblr, and uh, you'll be able to check that out. Um, I just repeated myself. Sorry about that. Anyway, so first thing to talk about is I think the cover. Is that fair enough? Yes. The okay. Cover, the cover is by Ernie Cologne, uh, the master Ernie Cologne. Now, it's his first cover. It's for his who. first cover for Who's Who. We are going to get into it briefly uh, in a moment. But first, well, uh, yes. I mean, you know, obviously, when you look at the cover, though, before you, we do that, is you know, there's an issue here. Well, I, I was going to get to that. I was going to get to it. Yeah, there, there is an issue here in that uh, who the hell is the main character here on this cover? Uh, it's, I guess it's supposed to be Red Tornado, by the way Mr. Cologne drew it. Uh, you could argue that it's Quake Master, as yep. represented here. It, uh, you, could argue, you could argue it's Ragman. You, you could argue, argue it's, it's Raven. Ragman or Raven. Uh, it is not clearly Robin the Boy Wonder, but we're going to get all into that in a moment. Uh, we decided to reach out to a couple of different comic book bloggers slash podcasters, uh, all of whom who have a personal uh, stake in this, to get their opinions on who really is the main character here. So we're in a little bit of some do something a little different here for this episode of the show. We are going to hear from uh, where we go, who's first? I forget. I'm completely <laughs> J- blanking. J. David Weeder. J. David Weeder for- of the of the Daredevil. Dave's Dave. Blah. J. David Weeder of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Right, and for defense of Red Tornado. And then we're going to hear from Tom Panarese talking where is he defending Robin. Then and he's from, he's from the Taking Flight Podcast, which is a Robin podcast. Right. By the way, I should have mentioned, J. David Weeder actually has a Red Tornado tattoo. Yes, yes he does. Probably the only living human being with a Red Tornado tattoo. Yes, he does. So, followed by Tom Panarese, who does the Taking Flight Podcast, which is a Robin podcast. Right. Then Doug Zerisa, who... Does the uh, Red Tornado blog, which is about once every four years, he yeah. posts something to it. Yeah, yep. and then we're going to wrap up with uh, your pal and ours, Earth Two Chris, uh, aka Chris Franklin, uh, who took the ball and ran with it uh, in defending Robin. So you're going to listen to all those back to back to back to back, and then we'll come back and <laughs> cover it ourselves. So uh, enjoy all this. 
uh, the thoughts of these four crazy people. Hi, J. David Weeder here. And on our hands is an important debate regarding who deserves to be on the cover of this edition of Who's Who. Red Tornado or Robin? Robin or Red Tornado, who deserves the cover? Well, Red Tornado is the ultimate cipher for the human experience. A conflicted, complex character who was created to destroy the heroes but became one himself. A being who strives to do good, who explores what it means to be human, along with an awesome array of powers and ranking membership in the Justice League. Then there's Robin. And you could say Dick Grayson's been a great character with a lot of history, but Dick Grayson certainly became a great everyman hero in Nightwing. However, somebody has to say it, and I think I'm the guy. Nightwing pretty much just wanted to be Daredevil. Yeah, sorry, I know the truth hurts. Throughout Dick's development in the 80s, we saw him shed the cape, become more acrobatic, be more of a night person, uh, moving his costume choice towards a more simple, elegant design, and eventually he would take on a pair of fighting batons, or billy clubs if you will. Now most of the movement on this character, which of course, the bulk of the movement on Dick Grayson came in the 80s, I should say, and it came from a writer who had some background writing Daredevil, one Marv Wolfman. Before trying to become the man without fear, Dick Grayson... Well, he ran around as the minion of a caped billionaire who made him wear short shorts and booties. I'm pretty certain Wayne Manor had a lot of nair on hand. So Dick already made an appearance in Who's Who is Nightwing. We could take him off the table, and that was his guise at the time, and he was still wearing a disco-style costume that would make Liberace shake his head at the ostentatiousness of it. And who, you ask, was Robin at the time Who's Who was being published? Which Robin wears the red, green, and yellow distinctive costume? Jason Todd. Didn't we vote to kill this kid off? Think about that. America voted to kill him. What does that tell you about Robin at this time? We actually preferred Disco Stew Nightwing over this kid? And you can make a case that Earth 2 Robin is in the issue and maybe he deserved the cover, but if you saw that costume front and center on the cover, your average eight-year-old at the spinner rack would wonder who this kid is. So, Red Tornado, a reliable, wonderfully developed character and stalwart member of the Justice League, a guy with powers, conflict, and a fascinating ongoing personal journey, or the kid who we chose to be beaten with a crowbar and blowed up real good. Cool red costume or hot pants? You really have to question yourself for making this a question. Red Tornado wanted to be human, Dick Grayson wanted to be a Marvel hero, and we wanted Jason to be six feet under. I'd say let's go with the analog of what it means to be a human being beset upon by our maker and trying to overcome our own inherent flaws to do the right thing on the cover. Unless boys and speedos are your thing. No judgment here. Hi guys, it's Tom Panneries of Taking Flight and Defender of All Things Robin. You asked me to give my case for why the Boy Wonder should be the feature character on the cover of Who's Who, the Definitive Directory of the DC Universe, issue 19. Well, do I really need to give you a reason? I mean, shouldn't you already know why? It's Robin. Yes, at this time in DC's history, Robin is not Dick Grayson. I get that. It's Jason Todd. And in fact, it's the pre-crisis Jason Todd, who's kind of Dick Grayson light. So it's the Jason Todd that nobody really cared about. Not not the one that they all wanted dead. But still, it's Robin. The most recognizable sidekick in comic books. Half of the dynamic duo. Batman and Robin. A character who, on cartoons, for years had Casey Kasem voicing him. Casey Kasem, the voice, the legend, 
The man who tells the kids which tunes are hip and happening. The man who dedicates love songs to your favorite dead relatives. Casey Kasem! And if that is not a ringing endorsement for you, enough for you, then how about the fact that Robin has been much, much popular for much, much longer with both comics fans and non-comics fans for decades. Decades, I tell you. But no. Instead of Robin taking the dominant part of the cover, we have... Actually, who is the dominant figure on the cover of this? I see Raven. I see Red Tornado. Is that... Quake Master? Are you telling me that Quake Master? Quake Master! Quake Master! Um, Robin is small. Both Robins are smaller than Quake Master. I mean, the figures are all nice and pretty, and Ernie Colon does a great job, but at the same time, like, this is so badly composed and. Quake Master! No! Robin! The Boy Wonder! I mean, bad composition or not, it needs to be Robin! Not some second-rate villain that Robin and Batman put away! I rest my case. Who's Who, number 19, cover by Ernie Colon. Ernie didn't do a very good job of pushing any one character towards prominence on this cover. Raven kind of gets the nod, but really, the, the squabble here is between Red Tornado, who deserves it, or Robin, who really doesn't. Let's face it, Red Tornado just blew up a little bit ago in Justice League of America number 3 relative to the release of this issue, but he's still Red Tornado. He's going to make appearances again. He'll appear in Captain Atom, he'll appear in Firestorm, He'll actually come back a little bit ways down the road and be Red Tornado once again. And also, he's got an action figure in the Superpowers line. Robin, as Jason Todd, not so much. Not only that, but we're about a year, maybe a year and a half away from people calling in to vote Robin to death. Red Tornado's already, air quotes, died, and he's gotten better. Therefore, Red Tornado really should be the featured character on Who's Who. Number 19. Hi, I'm Chris Franklin. You might know me from the Supermates podcast and the Power Records podcast. I'd like to talk to you about Robin. More specifically, Robin's appearance in Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe number 19. I had a long-winded defense planned, expounding on how Robin was robbed of his rightful cover spot in Who's Who. But then I remembered someone had already done that, only a few years ago. So without further ado, I give you an audio clip from the documentary series, Behind the Mask, Jason Todd. By 1986, Jason Todd has successfully filled the role of Robin for three years. He was regularly featured in Batman and Detective Comics. Jason was looking forward to a prestigious honor the cover spot of his own issue of Who's Who. When he arrived for the photo shoot, he was soon quite dismayed. So I get there and I see the people you'd expect. Red Tornado, Raven, The Riddler, Earth 2 Robin, Rachel Gould, folks like that. I met some new folks like The Question. He'd just come over from Charlton. 
weird guy. I couldn't understand a word he said. He smelled weird, too. So they are setting up the shot, and I'm standing out front where I'm assuming they want me. And I notice the photographer is starting to mix folks around, and he tells me he wants me to go climb this ladder and have me swing into the scene. I'm thinking, this is a great idea, very dramatic. So I go and get on the ladder, and I notice it's way in the back of the studio. Now, how am I going to swing in front of all these people? The guy's got Raven practically up underneath the camera, and Red Tornado was right behind her with some loser named Q-Man or something. What? What? Quake Master? Whatever. Who the hell was this guy? Lost in a crowd of random comic characters, Jason is beginning to realize his special day is going horribly wrong. So I'm standing on this ladder trying to figure out what the hell this guy is thinking. I mean, the Riddler is behind me in a tree. Now, would it make sense for us to be fighting? Dick had told me his who's who shoot went great, and he got to mix it up with the penguin. Perfect, right? So this thing is just going to hell fast, and the guy finally yells, Action! I swing in, and frickin' Ragman jumps in front of me. Ragman. The dude smells like a dumpster, and Red Tornado is just blowing his stink all over the studio. Jason was crushed. It was his first taste of how tough the comic industry could be. Unfortunately... It wasn't his last. It was a disaster. I couldn't believe it. I was a kid, so I didn't know what to say, but I felt so cheated. I'm Robin. I know I'm not the Robin, but Jon Stewart got the G cover over Hal Jordan. I got the same costume. I look like Dick Grayson. The common guy on the street knows Robin and doesn't know the difference. What were these idiots thinking? Jason was in for another major disappointment from his Who's Who experience, this time inside the comic itself. On top of all this, I don't know who that guy was inside the Who's Who under Robin 3, but it sure as hell wasn't me. Did you see the legs on that guy? He was like 28 and 6 foot 7. I swear it looked like Adrian Zemed from TJ Hooker or something. Jason wasn't the only one upset about his treatment in Who's Who. His predecessor, Dick Grayson, was outraged. Jason got screwed. No two ways about it. It was an insult to him and everything we'd both worked for as Robin. Robin had earned that cover spot, and he was the guy, plain and simple. I really felt sorry for the little guy. Of course, then they really did him dirty. Even the star of the cover, Red Tornado, was perplexed by Jason Snub. I did not understand why Robin was not the central image. I don't fully comprehend the human mind, but even a computer mind such as my own recognizes his importance among our profession. Only three short years after Jason's comic career skyrocketed, it crashed and burned all around him. So around this time, DC stops returning my calls. I'm told Frank Miller's going to come in and do some stories, so I won't be needed for a while. Next thing I know, they replaced me with some kid with my name and a juvie record. Real nice. I had to find out about it from an issue of Amazing Heroes. Looking back, the who's who was the first sign. The treatment they gave me, that they gave Robin, spoke volumes. Two years later, the other kid was voted dead and I was in the unemployment line. Luckily, I managed my money fairly well. But what about Batman? What did he think about the treatment of his former partner? Jason was a good soldier. He honored me. He... What? Oh, that Jason. Whatever happened to that guy? Jason is now an agent specializing in comic characters. He is currently representing Groot, who is soon to star in the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. 
It's a decent living and I'm still in the industry, but I know how it really works and I can warn folks about things like who's who. Never again. Not under my watch. created that last segment is married that's really kind of an amazing thing and in fact he hosts a podcast with his wife supermates uh which you've mentioned before on the show it's it, she's a remarkable woman and a very patient woman clearly she must be <laughs> all of them were great i mean they absolutely all were but chris sir you um i think he gets a yellow dot award for that is yeah that, oh i think fair that's to say? completely fair Above and beyond. But taking what all of them have said combined, clearly there there's a real issue of who should be the main character of this cover. Now, Rob and I really don't want to spend a lot more time talking about it. The, the image the cover image will be on the Tumblr. You can go out and look at it. But there is a very interesting element about this cover, this about this issue's cover. And that is, yes, this cover is done by Ernie Cologne. Sure. But Doug Zawizza found something in one of his um, – What's that book called? Uh, well, master- the, yeah, the Modern Masterworks series of Jerry Ordway. From Two, from two, two Armor. Tomorrow, two Morrows. Two Armor. <laughs> I'm trying to say Two Omaro. Two Omaro has his own book publishing concern. <laughs> anyway, um, Jerry Ordway did a cover for this issue. He did. It's utterly, it's beautiful, and it's, it's a, you can find it in that Modern Masters edition, as Rob mentioned. It's full pencils. It's, at, it's just waiting to be inked. Apparently, it's going to be inked by Mr. Macklin, because it's actually got his name already on there as the inker. And it's a gorgeous piece. You notice, if you look at the setting, it's some of the main characters are the same. Like, Raven is still prominent on the cover. Red Tornado is still prominent on the cover. One of the Robins, Earth 2 Robin, is prominent on the cover. And he's, and he's mimicking the pose from Detective Comics number 27. <gasps> I didn't even pick up on that. He's doing the Batman pose from that cover. Okay. And in the back, you have a nice one of Robin swinging in against Riddler. I mean, it's... I, I think this is a stronger cover. Oh, it's, it's no doubt. Look, look, I love Ernie Cologne's work. I've loved every version of it, like the stuff he did on for Richie Rich and the stuff he did for Atlas when he did the, Grey Ghost, uh, the Grim Ghost, which was a great book. And I've always loved his work. I think he's a superb artist, but he is inappropriate for this series to do the cover. And this cover shows why. I, like, I get the sense looking at this cover, Ernie Cologne had no idea who any of these people were. Except, except Robin. <laughs> he knew who Robin was. And then he buries Robin in the background. I don't mean to like put my thumb on the scale on this because we had these four gentlemen argue their respective points. But this, the main figure should be Robin. It's Robin the Boy Wonder. Everyone's heard of Robin the Boy Wonder. It doesn't See? matter that this isn't the Dick Grayson Robin. You, no, wait, no, hold on. You made the point in earlier issues that the reason a main character was a certain main character was because it was recognizable and they would help sell the book. Fair. That, that's what, well, what Red Tornado? No, I said I said fair. Right, no, I'm saying Red Tornado. Yeah. It, no, actually, where I'm going is Riddler. I, well, okay, he's also buried in exactly. the background. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would say it should be Robin and Riddler should be the two main yep. characters. Yeah, or Raven, or Raven at the, at the very least, you know, like probably the dullest member of the Teen Titans. But still, but <laughs> Red Red Tornado. I mean, you could argue that Quake Master is the main guy here. Really, it's you really completely good. crazy. I. I, like I said, I love Ernie Cologne's work. I really, really do. I always have and I always will. But he is not the right guy for this. And the, the now we know that there was a Jerry Ordway cover. Jerry I, the Extraordinary. I, what, like, what? what huh. <laughs> you know? 
Why was that, that not used? Remember that whole part where we said we weren't going to talk about the cover yeah. that much? No. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, what it could be is I some some editor I remember reading somewhere, uh, and this is a loose – I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to get it wrong. But the editor basically said, you know, artwork that is turned in late is, is something like it's no longer artwork. It's just a waste of time or just a pretty picture or something like that. Well, it's, I don't remember the, it's basically useless. If it's late, it's essentially – that's what we were told right. at Hubert School. It's essentially useless because you so, missed the deadline. I wonder if Ordway maybe missed the deadline. Maybe. And, and maybe, you know, Cologne's piece was rushed, and, that, and it shows. I don't know. We, we could ask him. We could ask him. Maybe Jerry. he remember. He might not remember. It's a long time ago. And I, I don't want to insult things. the man, though, and go, hey, out of the 30, you know, 30, 40 years of your amazing career, could you tell us about this one piece that didn't get published? Well, yeah, but he used it in the book. I mean, obviously he was okay with him using the book. Like I said, I like the way the characters are interacting. It's fun, but it's just not. It's just, to me, it's just not appropriate. Well, our thanks to Doug Zawizza for finding it, uh, and we will definitely include this in the Tumblr, folks. Yeah, I think it's Zawisha. I think we keep saying his name wrong. Doug Zawizawig, actually, yeah, is the go. correct pronunciation. It's Zawizawig. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's move on. Um, we uh, ran into the inside uh, letters page. Uh, there's not a whole lot of stuff that's really worth going over. If somebody asks about why Lois Lane is... Uh, an L.O. book instead of an L.A. book because her last name is Lane, not Lois. And they were just saying, well, basically in comics, it's always been that way. It's always been – that's just the, 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 the format is that the character is by their first name, not their last name, even though that's not the one normally the rest of us do it. And then someone else asked a letter about – confused about the whole Tales of the Teen Titans thing, which gives uh, the D.C. editors a chance to plug the uh, alternate books, the Tales of the right. Teen Titans, the New Teen Titans, so – yeah, good now, luck with that. The the thing that point jumped out at me is there is a question here about the Lieutenant Marvels. There is. Which is Hillbilly Marvel, Fat Marvel, Ridiculous Marvel, you know, those guys. And it does mention, you know, they thought that the Lieutenant Marvels uh, had died. And here it says, oh, overwhelmed does not necessarily mean death. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, and it says they're alive and they'll be back someday. You know, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> Should say, unfortunately, but. <laughs> Hillbilly Marvel will be back to marrying his sister in a future issue of World. <laughs> um, I love this one guy. I do say Mike Downs. He in the question four, he says the number sixteen. It says the multi image group affiliation is the League of Challenger Haters. Why wasn't this group listed? I think their name tells you why they weren't listed. <laughs> it's the single worst name for a supervillain team in all like of the, history. The oh, League wait. of Challenger Haters. It's like what are you trying? The Superman Revenge Squad. That's still better than the League of Challenger Haters. I mean, will they have like a backwards R in their tree fort? I mean, what is that about? The Challenger Haters. That just does not roll off the tongue very well, please. How and, many guys are in that team besides Multiman? And, and on top of that, the Challenge of the Unknown, that's the group that you're going after? Those guys? <laughs> I mean, you know, really. I mean, come on. At least the Superman Revenge Squad's going after Superman. So. Hey, I was talking to this guy this week, and he's got a copy of the Challengers of the Unknown Showcase. I'm totally going to borrow it. I'm so excited. Can't wait. That's a good. good book. That was a good comic. I'm not meaning yeah. to slam those characters. It's just the, – the, I can't get over that name, the League right. Challenger. Well, to, to nitpick that particular thing, you know, when you're right into who's who, that's what you're going to complain about. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, you know, he wanted to – Mike Downs wanted to die on that particular hill. Uh, nice to see that copy editor Brenda Pope is back at her station. She had the last issue, so there will be no mistakes. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. All right. Moving forward. First up, uh, kind of a leftover from the previous issue, the one P character left. See, they should have gotten rid of Pursuer, and they could have fit this guy in. Puzzler, 
uh, an old Superman villain, and I'm really old, and then his first appearance is Action Comics number 49. That's pretty old. Art by Wayne Boring and Kurt Schaffenberger, who make a very nice team. Mm-hmm. Um, the puzzler is <laughs> the puzzler is himself something of a puzzle. Who he is, really <laughs> is, and how he became to be obsessed with games, tricks, and puzzles is unknown. Well, we should just stop right there. <laughs> no, we don't know. We don't know anything else. Oh, um, no, no, no. You can't stop right there. The next part's the best. I'm just he saying began by threatening a table tennis champ and making attempts on the champ's life when he refused to pay protection money. That's the start of your career, table tennis protection racket? And, of course, what hero do you want to take on when you have those skills? Superman. <laughs> I guess the specter was busy. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Um, it ends with Superman tracked the puzzler to his lair with its maze full of death traps, deadly to an ordinary man, but nothing to the man of might. He captured the villain who, however, managed to escape. Later, Superman did eventually jail him. Well, that's thrilling, isn't it? You know, really? Um, the artwork, I love the artwork. I think it's great. I think Wayne Boring like, really did some nice pieces for Who's Who. And uh, it's it's a, you see all the action shots of Superman playing checkers with the puzzler and going after uh, Lois and then him standing there with his suit and his books on one how to cheat stuff. It's it's a really nice, really nice piece. I totally agree. I'm really, really happy with it. Um, the Lois piece, the drawing of Lois, I mean, it's very um, well, it's sexualized. I mean, it really well, is. She's, yeah, he's got her strapped to a chair and he's going to zap her with some sort of. Thing. And he's holding a big long handle. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I will say, it's pretty sexy. But uh, I love the part where Superman is dragging him, like shoving him off to jail. Yeah. <laughs> it, not just dragging him; he's actually got him in he's front. Pushing of him, him, yeah. He's yeah. pushing him. <laughs> there's two two more things here in his text I wanted to bring up. There's an interesting bit where he uh, he has this problem where, like, he's, he's a, he loses a set of card games or something like that. It's he was beaten at poker, rummy, hearts. Uh, blackjack and bridge and casino. And so what he does, he does his big scam to go after those guys that beat him. Like the poker champ, he beats to death with a poker. The bridge guy, he forces the bridge off the car. You know, you get the kind of gig, gig where it's going. And it's just kind of neat that he themed all of that based on games. I really liked that. That was clever. That's and apparently his, apparently his symbol was a bent nail, which is part of a puzzle. Huh. Yeah, interesting. I didn't get what that meant. <laughs> yeah, I think it looks great though. I love his hair's messy and stuff. Yeah, it's a great piece. It's a great yeah. piece. It looks very nice. Really well done. Um, next up is our main uh, character of the book, Quake Master, art <laughs> <laughs> by Don Drake, who I'm really not terribly familiar with. Uh, you know why? He was, did very, very little. I looked him up. The, as far as I could tell, the only things he did was Who's Who and Marvel Universe, oddly enough. Hey, that's, I, I'm your character guy. You need me guys in poses? Get me, I'm your guy. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, this is really one of the morts of the DCU. And in fact, the only reason I remember this guy at all is that he is mentioned in Secret Society of Supervillains number 15, which is the final issue. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of villains. I think it's the wizard, and he's like taking some of the other potential members through a tour of the base. And he's like, "We have some other members lined up, and one of them is Quake Master." And the, and the other villains are like, "Really? These guys are kind of like third stringers, aren't they?" Like, so he's even insulting him in the, within the context oh, wow. of the book. Yeah, it was like there was the seismatic twins. There were these robots. Yeah, there's there are a bunch of real kind of loser guys. So. I mean, the, the the hook is not bad. He's got this, like, pa- you know, big-powered jackhammer and stuff. And, uh, you know, so, okay. 
Uh, and he is currently still at large. It mentions that he took part in the so-called Crisis on Infinite Earths as part of the team of villains recruited by Luthor and Brainiac. I don't remember seeing him in Crisis, but there were so many people who could have easily missed him, of course. I'm looking at my poster right now. <laughs> I, have the, I have the giant, like, uh, six-foot poster over my office desk, so I'm looking. I'm looking. Good luck. You keep going. Good luck with that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, it says Robert, uh, Robert Coleman was a noted architect and builder in Gotham City whose reputation was irreparably damaged when an apartment complex he had designed and built could not withstand the forces of a hurricane. There's got a, a lot of hurricanes coming in Gotham City. I was just thinking that. That's one of my notes. <laughs> hurricane in Gotham City? Is, really? Isn't there? And then they're like on the East Coast, supposedly in New Jersey. So we don't get a lot of hurricanes here. Um, hey, hey, listen for the next and somewhat coming soon. Hero Points podcast for that very discussion. Okay. A little teaser for everybody. Yeah, well, if anybody can remember, we're all still alive by the time you do another episode of that show. I hate you so much. Well, get on your ass and do it. Stop working on it. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm making notes. Oh, that's what I'm okay. going through the all Atlas right. of the DC says, Universe. All right. I'm making notes. All right. He says, feeling that he had been wrongly branded, Coleman took on the guise of Quake Master and used his power charge jackhammer to create earthquakes in Gotham City. <laughs> sure, that's a natural cause and effect. <laughs> Why not? You know. Now that said, he would have made a great superpowers figure because he comes with his own little uh, power extra little thing, weapon, whatever you want. An accessory. Call it. Accessory. I was blanking on the word. <laughs> he would have made a great superpowers villain. I, it takes a very brave man to wear an insignia that's just a giant Q. Now he wears it not only he's on his chest; he's got it on his yeah. belt too. Yep. Now, what is that symbol on his forehead, though? He's is got that... a T on his head. I don't. I don't, it doesn't mention it, it anywhere in the text. That's why he has that. I'm wondering if it's a jackhammer. I guess so. It looks Maybe. Like it, yeah. It looks like Titan's Tower to me. But does, yeah. I don't know. I like his, I like his logo. Uh, yeah, that's a font. That's just the Ty Klein got that out of the font file. Which I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's that's a font. And I know. It's, it still it, looks it's the kind of font that you'll never use for anything else. And then you're like, <laughs> perfect. I've got a villain called Quake Master. This is the perfect <laughs> thing. The font will never be used again. Knocks that one out on his way to lunch. Yeah. Um, the reason why I know who Quake Master is is not because of this entry. Even though I've read this cover, this issue cover to cover, I apparently blocked this guy out. I remember Quake Master because in the Gotham City, or in the in the 2000s, they did a series of stories where Gotham City was just a friggin' mess. There was like Contagion, you know, and No Man's Land. Oh, right, right, right. One of them had to do with a, an earthquake. I want to say it was Cataclysm, maybe? Anyway, okay. there was a part where supposedly a guy came forward who was calling himself the Quake Master and was claiming, take, trying to take credit for the earthquake. You know, there's some bogusness goes on. I won't spoil anything for you there. But that's how I had heard of him. So, in fact, this whole issue, by the way, is chock-a-block, as Rob likes to say, of people that sort of came to become cooler in post-crisis. And I'm going to try and hit those as we go. I'm going to try and mention how people became... What happened to them in post-crisis? I forgot to mention with the Puzzler. Puzzler was revamped, by the way, as a female character who was a living jigsaw puzzle who could, like, separate her pieces. (laughs) I know. It was pretty cool. She wasn't a major player. That wasn't where I was going with it, but okay. Anyway, Quake Master, um, you know, again, it was this – it was part of a big crossover. So he got a lot of attention in it, but it it, it treated him about as much of a joke as as this does. We can only hope he's the villain in the the Superman-Batman movie because they've used up all the other ones. So. (laughs) Uh, next up, Queen Bee. Woo! With art by Steve Dillon of Preacher fame, way yep. before he ever did Preacher. 
Um, this must be one of those times where they were reaching out to somebody new and independent because he was, I mean, Steve was doing British comics. It wasn't like he wasn't doing comics at all, but he was certainly not known on these shores. As far as I can tell, I think this is his very, I think this right here is his very first U.S. work. Because everything before this, at least according to the comic book database, is uh, 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, Doctor Who, you know, tons of stuff, like you said. But this is the first U.S. comic I could find listed. Cool. Yeah. It, yeah. It feels like a weird, like, uh, like, a, a, like going back in time or something. Because you're seeing a name that at the time didn't mean anything to you, at least to mm-hmm. me. And then later on, you're like, oh, that guy. It's like one of those movies where you see somebody famous in a bit part. Before they got famous, and then you're like, "Oh, look, that's Clint Eastwood playing the handyman," you know that kind of thing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it, I love this piece. I mean, I love Steve Dillon's work. Period. Uh, but I think this is a really nice drawing. I don't get it says her hair is magenta. That, that ain't magenta. I don't know what color they're working on, but that sure as hell is not magenta. Mine is. That's, you're, you're you're looking at a scan though, right? No, I'm looking at the print version. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's that's purple. It's. Oh, well, okay, I guess I can't tell the difference between a magenta and Magenta purple. is, magenta and purple are two different things. That's true. It's more, that's more reddish. Yeah, okay. So, um, anyway, this was always kind of a, a fun villain. Uh, she, uh, I, I like that they worked in Batgirl because the one time, but not the one time, but one of the times that she fought the JLA, they did work in Batgirl into the story she guest appeared, so that was kind of nice that they threw her in there. There's oh, okay. A, yeah, there's a nice little portrait of her, and then you see her shrinking Superman and Batman and Flash into little wasp creatures. Uh, her, her history is complicated to say the least, because you talk about, they've got like a foreign <laughs> planet and all this stuff. And it's one of those things where you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, like, I don't know what, but it mentions in the powers of weapons that she now has immortality and cannot be killed. So, but without magnetism, she's motionless. So deal with that. They, they compare her to Hector Hammond a lot with it too. Yeah. Um, it, it, the entry leads, uh, reads a little bit like a Marvel Universe entry with a lot of this happened, and then this happened, and yeah. then this happened. And I, I, I can't stand that. And these, I see more of that in this particular issue, actually. Um, you know what always struck me odd about this character is that she she appeared early, you know, Justice League of America number 23. Yep. And if you look back at early JLA villains, you know, Starro, Despero, Kenjaro, things like that, they all look very non-human. And she is an alien, other than her wings, that looks very human. Yeah, that's true. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, in post-crisis, they made her look like a total bee. Yeah, uh, and I she, know. And she became, well, she, she became very prevalent in post-crisis as well. She was a big character for a while there. Um, I always thought she was sexy. And, you know, oddly enough, my, my stepson picked up this issue today because I had it laying around the house because he was getting ready to do the show. And he started flipping through it. And uh, if I think of more comments he said as we're going through it, I'll bring them up. But he went he went page by page and was going through this thing. And he brought up that he remembers Queen Bee. I'm like, where do you know her from? He said, Young Justice. I totally forgot. Oh, yeah, she's okay. she's absolutely a character in Young Justice. Cool. So I, th- right. I thought that was pretty cool. All right. Yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice listing. It really is. I wish Steve Dillon had done more of these. I think this is the only thing he ever did. It's funny you mentioned you didn't know who he was. Ironically, I did know who he was at this point because I had seen his work in the Marvel Doctor Who reprints. Ah, there you go. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, next up is The Question, of course, by Steve Ditko. I think this is Ditko's only piece for Who's Who, I Ooh, think. I'll find out. Yeah, I think it's his only one. Uh, of course, his first appearance is in Blue Beetle, number one. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, it's a nice piece. It, it, he crams a lot in. 
Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. We see him grabbing a bad guy, and then we see him punching some other bad guys, and then we see him in mid-transformation. And then the uh, the pose, the full-color pose, is very, very nice and stylish, where he's walking on a giant question mark, and it's floating into the air. Then we see him on TV, because in his uh, occupation, he's a television journalist. So uh, it's a very nice piece. I, this, this character never did a whole lot for me, but uh, it's, you know, it's nice looking. Really, the character? You, the, are you saying back then, or, in, or even to this day, the character doesn't do much? I think right? they've done more with him lately. Like he's, I think he's somebody who they've actually done a lot more with now. I mean, I know they changed him to uh, what is it? Uh, the question's a woman now. Uh well, not not in the new Fifty Two. No, not in the new Fifty Two. No, not in the Fifty Two. But yeah, it was after after fifty. A lot of Fifty Twos in this. After Fifty Two, Renee Montoya became the question. But then when they rebooted the new 52, now it's part of the whole nonsense with Phantom Stranger and Pandora and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, you know, looking at this, by the way, it, it does look like uh, Ditko has four entries in Who's Who, all of which start right here, and there'll be one in issue for the next four, three more, three oh, more really? issues. So, okay. Yeah, that should be exciting to see. Um, I had to look it up. It looks like the question only had 11 appearances before this, which blew me away. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, he I never he, had his own book. I thought he had been like a big deal for a long time in you know the old uh, Charlton and days, um, but I didn't realize he was you know so infrequently published. And when it said Blue Beetle number one, I actually did some more research. I'm like, wait a minute, is that post crisis or pre crisis? Sure enough, that's pre crisis. Oh yeah, this is so, the '60s. Yeah, this yeah. is the, the, the Charlton series. Yeah, I love his logo. His logo yeah, looks it's great. Very nice. I love the intensity. Like, there's some real violence going on in in the serpent there. I mean, he looks physically painful what he's doing to those guys, and he's scaring the crap out of another guy. It's really cool. I love that. And I love – this is a character, another one of those is like who became really cool in post-crisis. I mean, really did some amazing stuff with this character. They took him out of Chicago and put him in Hub City just so they could make it even grubbier. And uh, just really re- – I think it's a great character. I love this character. And when he shows up on Justice League Unlimited – He was great he steal- in that. He steals every scene. Yeah, he's great in those. <laughs> he's great in those. Uh, it yep. mentions in the, uh, the history, it says – Taking the streets to taking to the streets of Chicago, the question began terrorizing criminals of all kinds and let the word be known that crime would no, would no longer be tolerated in his city. He often elicits information from recalcitrant thugs by threatening to expose them to the same gas that changes him to the question. They assume the exposure is fatal, though its effects are probably harmless. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's it, the question is part of the long line of Steve Ditko's characters creating where they would sort of get more and more violent as they went on and were sort of extreme, uh, partly in their actions and partly in their sort of viewpoints of the world to where it became, you know, finally Ditko went on to do Mr. A, which is just the most extreme version of sort of all these characters where he sort of finally married his ideas of like Ayn Rand ph- philosophy into superheroism. So, hmm. uh, yeah, Interesting. the question is sort of a, a one of the steps on that that progression or digression, depending on your point of view. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's the question. If uh, you don't know the character, really cool stuff. Just yep. look it up. Next up is Quicksilver, another character DC bought from somebody else. This is a uh, one of the quality con- quality characters, first appearances in National Comics number five. His alter ego is unknown. Whoever wrote the uh, listing here really likes Quicksilver. Uh, he really liked him because he ends it with this laughing Robin Hood, as he was called, battled crime for nine years, then vanished as mysteriously as he had come. Perhaps he resumed his true identity and retired. He seemed to have ample financial resources. It is hoped this was the case and that Quicksilver did not die in action. 
So they're like really rooting for this guy. They really like whoever wrote this really liked Quicksilver. Did Mark Wade help write this issue? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, the, art, the art's by Murphy Anderson. Uh, it's really good. It's very nice. I mean, it gets across. He's you know one of the super speedster guys. Uh, it's one of the rare portraits. Uh, well, one of the rare drawings where the character is seen entirely in in side view. No, oh, that's interesting. That's true. Yeah, yeah. but it makes sense for a speedster. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is another character who huge, huge in post crisis. Um, right. And was going to part of the Speed Force. Yes, he's Max Mercury. Uh, who they they I guess there. Were, I don't I I don't see any evidences online right now because I'm looking really quick while we're recording, but. They, they basically they, they amalgamated. I want to say one or two different speedsters into one guy, into Quicksilver, and uh, if I remember right, anyway, it became Max Mercury, and Quicksilver had been one of his identities. Anyway, and yeah, he, he was the Zen master of the Speed Force. You know, Mark Wade made him a huge tentpole in the Flash legacy, and uh, it's really great. Now, I will say, I think it's very strange, but I'm excited about the fact that Marvel has decided to put him in both uh, the new X-Men movie and the Avengers <laughs> That is movie, very but. exciting. I saw him, I saw him in the, that scene in Captain America Winter Soldier, so it's all very exciting. I, I saw him eating a burger and, and something. So. Yeah. <laughs> I like his, his base of operations, Secret Hideout in Oakwood Park. Yeah, yeah. They talk about how, like, he's got all this money. Yeah, it's just, it's a fun entry. Yeah. So. They really said that whoever wrote this is really pulling for him. We see him in the Serpent beating up three guys simultaneously. Yep. And then taking on some bad guy who's like some pudgy bee-looking guy. I, I, and it looks like he's kneeing <laughs> him in the crotch. I don't know what that's about. Well, they do mention also, by the way, he starts off really, really fast. And gets and as his adventures went on, he got slower. Um, and they do bring in – also, they mention his, his, he has a – I don't know if it's a sidekick or a friend or whatever, a Native American guy. And all of this ties in really well with what Mark Wade did later. Mark Wade talked about how his speed would fluctuate. Talked about how he would run really fast and break the time, you know, and travel through time. He he had Native American origins, so it all ties really well. Yeah, very nice. Next up is Quizlet from the Legion of Superheroes, drawn by Greg LaRoque and Art Nichols. Uh, for some reason, this was not done by Steve Lytle, even though Steve Lytle, I think, co-created the character. Yep. Uh, so uh, this is a Legion character. So a, I hate it, and b. It's even more boring because it's a little guy in a spaceship. So, Shag, go ahead. I, I just oh my god, don't care about this at all. <gasps> okay, first of all, the foreground image is really great. The little flying it's a great metal drawing. ship. It's a nice drawing. Yeah. yeah. I never noticed that there's a little logo on the wing, um, and that's important because if you look at the in the serpent in the bottom corner, there's a giant robot. And you find out Quizlet could take over other machines. That giant robot has that same little symbol on the forehead, on the face. face yeah. So you got to assume, oh, because you can see Quizlet sort of like transferring himself to that robot. You're like, oh, so that's kind of a clever visual cue to let you know that you know someone else is he's, he's taking over somebody else. A couple other things in the background, you see who at first I thought was probably Cosmic Boy, but now I realize, given the lineup of characters, that's probably uh, Magnetic Kid. Magnetic Kid, yeah. Yeah, what's up with his hair? <laughs> he's a very fifties rockability pompadour thing. He's got going. On. <laughs> Totally. So, and the other thing where I, I thought was interesting is as you're reading his entry, in, people don't know much about the character because he's basically just a little blob of energy inside this little metal thing that came from like another micro dimension. And it says in here, where is it? Um, Although background checks on Quizlet were obviously impossible, it was accepted for, for Legion membership without a great deal of suspicion. It just sounds like that's a setup for a story right there to me. That sounds like, yeah. 
they, would they let him in? And in seven issues, you'll find out why that was a terrible, terrible mistake. Oh, he's the terror of the Legion of Superheroes. I don't know. I, I haven't got that far in my reading, so I don't know. You'll have to tell so. me because I'm never going to read them. God. You're bad. Yep. You're really bad. It's a nice drawing, though. Nice drawing. I love the uh, the stipple effect on the metal. That's a really nice effect. Yep. That's very, very true. For a very, you know, kind of dull, I mean, it's a little spaceship, you know? Hard to get that excited about it, but, I mean, well, it's a neat idea, but it just, I me mean, visually, there's not a whole lot to look at here. It's. I, I kind of like the logo. I will say, though, at the end of the day, I think Lytle would have done this better. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait for the uh, Quizlet Skeets team-up book. Awesome. <laughs> hey, they're both for the future. There you go. Uh, next up is Quard. Art by Gil Kane, of course. Uh, Quard is uh, where Sinestro comes from. And in the back, we see the Anti-Monitor, or just Monitor 2, excuse me. And, electric, uh, electric Boogaloo. Yeah, and then Kronos and Sinestro. All a lot of giant foreheads rocking here. Um, <laughs> I always thought the Quard guys were, like, really silly looking, but also really cool. I mean, he's got a quiver. Full of lightning bolts. How awesome is that? And then the most ridiculous helmets, which like, impossible to get through doors. Uh, it's cool. First appearance is Green Lantern number two. Crazy. So, I mean, they were right at the beginning there. All this. It was, it's neat. It's a neat drawing. I, we don't see who he's throwing his lightning bolt at. Because it's, I mean, you see Green Lantern flying, but it's part of the serpent. So it's not part of the main image. But, uh, you know, it's a nice drawing. It's a nice drawing. I, uh, like, Sinestro and Krona side-by-side side sort of, like, demonstrates some of the difficulties with some of the Green Lantern characters. I mean, they, they look very similar. Yeah, they do. I mean, you have to actually take a moment to figure out which one's which, almost. I do like the Anti-Monitor's hands, sort of the, the ringing effect on his hands looks pretty cool. Overall, you know, I've, I've been complimentary and harsh on Gil Kane throughout the Who's Who experience so far. I'd say this one's probably more in the win column than in the non-win column, but... I love the intensity on the Thunderer's face. You know, yeah. those guys really Well, it great. mentions in the it mentions in the uh, the listing. It says Cordians reveled in violence and torture. So yeah, they love their work. So, <laughs> now, basically, so so you know, Cord is in the antimatter universe, and if I remember right, it basically sits um, in the same spot as Oa, but in the antimatter universe, right? I yeah, think it's the counterpart to Oa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, whenever there's a big Owen crisis. Quark becomes a big deal. There's a lot. The entry goes on a lot about the anti monitor and stuff like that. So it's uh, it, as, as Rob said, it's a big deal for Crisis. But if you don't care about Green Lantern and you can forget about Crisis, you don't really go. I them. guess Crisis had ended by this point because it mentions that yeah. the anti monitor is now dead. Or presum- yeah, Crisis. Presumably. Who's who was on issue thirteen when Crisis ended? What? Oh wow. Okay. I can never get over that. That's you know why? You know why you don't know that? Why? Because I didn't read that little bit in the beginning that Michael Bailey makes fun of me for. Because I always said it was one month off of Crisis. See? See? You would have known. Okay. Did uh, I even say when issue 19? Did we even say that? I don't it, know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't say it. We may not. This is issue 19, by the way. Volume XIX, folks. Exigix. <laughs> See what happens when you don't do the same boring intro every Bailey, day? Bailey, you screwed up the whole show. You go nuts. Uh, next up, one of my favorite listings, Ragdoll. Although here he's called The Ragdoll. I, I've always just called him Ragdoll. I like the. It's better. Do you? Eh, I don't know. Art by Steve Leahola. 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 Yeah, of course. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, he was the one who did the uh, Cheetah 2 listing. I always liked him. I always thought he was a great penciler, a really unique style. He's the perfect guy for this villain who was really creepy. 
mm-hmm. really like this could be done in live action. I think as silly as this looks, this could be done. I think really well because there's something just inherently creepy about this smiley face that murders people. How, how did Raggedy Andy, the company that makes those, not sue DC for this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because he first of all, well, first of all, he's a Golden Age character. He first appeared in Flash Comics number thirty-six, so that would have made it around nineteen forty-three. Or mm-hmm. so, and Raggedy Ann and Andy are long before that. So yeah, oh, you're yeah. right. I don't. I mean, clearly that's what this is based on. I don't know. I don't know how they sort of managed to do that. But um, well, the, the stick of the character is he's a contortionist. Yes, and he he folds himself. He dresses in a in a rag doll costume, and then like puts himself in really impossible positions physically, and acts like a, a rag doll that's just slumped over. So people ignore him. And then when they leave, you know... He robs the place, yeah. Yeah, he robs the place. And it's a great gimmick. And he runs up, uh, runs up across the Flash a couple times here. I love... Um, I got a lot to say about this guy. I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. <laughs> no, it's just... I really love it. I love the draw- I love the drawing of him sticking up the two guys with the top hats. It's that really, is like my favorite little shot in the whole Great book. drawing. They look like Terrence and Phillip, those two. Yes, uh, they do. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um... It's yeah. He was a he was a a villain of the Golden Age Flash. Uh, he later took on. He was part of the um, a JLA JSA crossover where he was part of the new lead super secret society super villains, and he was kind of like a mad killer there. Which I thought he was I, he was really cool. I really do like this character. Well, now I mentioned to you this is the issue of people that became amazingly cool in post crisis. This is a major major thing for post crisis. First of all, in James Robinson's Starman. They did some freaking creepy as hell stuff with Ragdoll. Um, if you haven't read James Robinson's Starman, I'm just going to stop there, okay? Go read it and read the stuff about Ragdoll. Wow. It, wow. It's, it's like no superhero comic I had read up to that point as far as like, not, not like Punisher, but I mean, they're, I'll just I'll stop talking. A lot of good now. stuff there. Yeah. Then in Gail Simone took it a step further and introduced Ragdoll's brother, who was desperate to be like Ragdoll, so he had all these surgeries to make himself able to contort, and he became one of the main characters in Secret Six. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, awesome stuff. Now, uh, you mentioned Steve Lealoha. I looked at, I didn't realize he did almost no DC work other than Who's Who. He was almost exclusively a Marvel guy. Yeah, he did some stuff for Epic, too. He was, he was, a, he was a big indie guy. He did a lot of indie, yeah, independent okay. stuff. And a final thing to note, something that in 30 years of owning this comic, you've never noticed until this moment, his left hand, he is flipping a bird. Is he? Yes, yeah, he already is. is. Yes. He absolute, that yeah. is absolutely intentional. He is flipping the bird. Yeah. He's a nasty <laughs> guy. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, just a little detail that I love. When it talks about that, uh, when he fought the JLA and JSA in that team up, he says the Ragdoll and his comrades were trapped in an interdimensional limbo at the end of that encounter. But most of them were later released on a court decision. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that that was taken to a court. Like, yeah, we trapped a bunch of guys in interdimensional time and space in a cube, and they're just going to stay there forever. They're never going to age, but they also don't eat, never get free. Yeah, all right, we can do that. Like, what court handles that? Is that the Supreme <laughs> Court? Is that an appellate court? I don't know. It's the same court that handled the Superman Island. Who said, "No, wait a minute, you Superman, you can't just make a prison." They must have a court in the DCU just for this stuff. 
They must. For ridiculous. It's, it's like a Gitmo yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, it's go, a good Go a great read book. Starman. Yeah. J. David Weeder will back me up. I'm, I'll back you up. It was a great book. I read it. That was a good well, good. Series. I don't think you remember the Ragdoll stuff. Otherwise, you'd be creeped out right now. No, I don't. I don't well, I didn't read all of it. I didn't read all of it, but I read some of the Really good stuff. I'm, get, so. I'm getting the shivers. Okay, all right. All right. Next up, Ragman. Woo! Art by Joe Kubert, of course. Woo! Killer drawing. Killer, killer drawing. Great. I love the cross hatching that Joe put in on this face. Uh, you see Ragman without his, without his hood on. Uh, he was a character that uh, got crushed in the DC implosion because he was introduced with his own series in the 70s with Ragman number one. His base of operations is Gotham City, but the Gotham City slums. Yep. Because Batman doesn't bother with that stuff. He's more of the high, high criminal <laughs> crime. Crime alleys. Yeah, the, he's, if, unless there's a giant typewriter, he's not interested. So uh, <laughs> this listing is almost pretty much his entirely just his origin. I mean, I mean, Ragman didn't have a much – at this point didn't really have much of a career outside of those five or six issues of the series. Now, later on, like you mentioned, he became a big deal in other series. He was used in um, Shadow Pact – yeah, well, and, he had his own. He had two different miniseries. Own, right, he became kind of a big thing. But at this point, his only listings were basically the Ragman, you know, the Ragman series. So to that end, this history is just pretty much his origin, and it ends with him basically becoming Ragman. I want to say he made it into like a DC Comics Presents or a Brave and the Bold as well. But yeah, but that was just he was in a Brave and the Bold. You're right. You're right. He was. I do remember. I'm remembering it now. But I think that's it. It's an interesting origin. Basically, it's his his dad owns a junk shop, right? And so his dad has some friends that are all like really unique sort of people. Like one's a former, I think, circus strongman, and they're they're all kind of like has some sort of physical attributes. And this horrible thing goes down with a crime situation. They all get electrocuted, and Rory, who's this character, is holding hands with them as they all get electrocuted and die. And sort of all their physical prowess goes into him, so he's able to. So he's still basically human, but he's got all these really great physical attributes. So, um, also so, some other stuff to mention. Like, if you want to check these comics out, I, I would exa- I'd say go ahead and pick them up. It, you've got it's really a nice sort of diversity rich. I don't know if that's really an expression. Socially conscious series. You know, they purposely talk about the slums. They purposely purposely talk about poor people. They talk about some of the plight of the African Americans. I mean, they really try and hit a lot of deep issues in this comic. And it's and really the, very impressive for its time. The, yeah, those were concerns of Joe Kubert and his work later on as well. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, also, you should check out Chad Bokelman's um, blog. Uh, we've got links on our websites, each of us, I believe, for the Ragman blog. Yes. It's like... I don't remember the exact URL. It's something like suitofsouls.blogspot.com, I believe. Anyways, we're checking out. He does a lot of analysis of the early, uh, especially this version of Ragman. Because post-crisis was very different. I mean, he his suit actually was like living beings that he had defeated and became part of his body. And they were working through some penance. And it was basically like a suit of souls and stuff. So, yeah. Personally, personally, I prefer the post-crisis version. But I think the pre-crisis version has just as much merit. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a unique-looking character. And it's the same logo after all these years. It is. It is. Very well. Very nice logo. Uh, next up, Rainbow Raider by Don Heck. Oh, <sighs> uh, yeah. what was that for? Uh, boring, you know. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I feel like he enters in the, he 
he alerts it. Never mind. Um, I was going to say, well, like, what is he use? Well, he, use, he uses Kodachrome by Paul Simon to introduce himself when he shows up at banks or when you're going to rob or whatever. Uh, I now, mean, this, now, to be fair, it's a Flash villain. So your other alternative, if you didn't get Carmen Infantino, to, yeah, just exactly. standing there and look at my crotch pose. So, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, this guy could have made a fortune by doing ads for Polaroid, not bothering <laughs> Life <laughs> of Kodak. Crime, but or Kodak, Life of Crime. Uh, he first appeared in Flash number 286. He's, you know, a later Flash villain. Most of all the Flash villains that you sort of know from the Rogues Gallery are all from the early 60s. And this guy came along that later. And he sort of got glommed on with that group. He later joined forces with Dr. Double X. So, you know, ooh, that's intimidating. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, he has the uh, – yeah, he's – Okay. Well, some of the things he's, he has sort of class, classic Flash Rogue stuff, which is, you know, he's, his name, for first of all, is Roy G. Bivolo. I mean, we've talked before about people who from birth are destined for something and it's clearly had to do with colors. You know, a guy named Roy G. Bivolo who's colorblind. Really? Okay. That's not just setting it up. And, you know, he's got, he's got gimmicks, he's got gadgets, you know, it's, he, he does fit really well with the Flash Rogues. Now, the reason Don Hag drew this rather than Carmen Infantino is exactly what you just mentioned. It's a later Flash villain, and Don Hag actually drew his first appearances. Right, he was drawing Flash at that point. Yep. So, it's, um, I actually didn't know he was a later Flash villain till this issue of Who's Who, till we did this review t- this week. Uh, I just assumed he'd been around forever. Until uh, I realized that now he was actually much, much later than the other guys. But because to me, he's always just been part of the Rose Gallery. Right. So. Uh, it mentions his uh, known relatives, unnamed father and mother, both deceased. You know what? If you don't have their names, why even bother to list them? Because I'm going to be reasonably sure that he did have a father and a mother. I'm going to go out on a limb and say every character in Who's Who had a father and a mother. Well, the only reason why is because they specifically talk about him in the history. Well, I know, I know. But it just, it's just sort of funny. They're like, unnamed father yeah. and mother. Well, yeah. I mean, it's somebody. Everyone does. Yeah. And then at the, end, at the very end, it says, Bivolo also invented a color-shifting paint that could effectively render an object invisible. Just sell that to the army. <laughs> Don't do the crime. Just sell. Just patent that and live like you're Steve Jobs. That's like a great invention. I, uh, these guys, they can't see the forest for the trees, these flash villains. You know what? It's true. <laughs> you know what works well with this? I didn't think about it until just now. Is the single solid color image with the uh, single color serpent. I'm sorry, the full color image in the front with the single serpent color in the back. That works well with him being colorblind and stuff. It's kind of clever. Okay. Uh, next up is Ran from... Adam Strange, of course, first appearances in Showcase number 17, art by Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson. Uh, yeah, I mean, not a whole much. I mean, the bag, the serpent is really where it's at here. Yeah, We're seeing absolutely. all the stuff that's going on. We see Adam Strange in Atlanta flying around. The main image is just, you know, these globe shots, which are just like, oh, okay, there's some basic globe shots. Here are the continents. This was an easy – I mean, I have to say, Carmine and Murphy really put a lot of effort into the serpent. They could have just done the planets, gotten out their uh, – their circular templates, and here you go. We're done. You know, <laughs> give me my page rate, please. But they really put a lot of stuff into the background. And I will say, growing up, I loved Adam Strange. I loved Adam Strange, and I don't feel like DC's done a whole lot with him in in the last thirty years or something. But those '60s stories, man, they are they are a blast. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Alan Professor Alan Middleton just did recently over three episodes of the Quarterman podcast covered a um, 
Adam Strange miniseries from like the 90s, I yes. think it was. Yes, uh, the Kubert brothers did that. Did it. Uh, it was interesting to hear. Yeah. Well, they didn't write him, that's for sure. No, they didn't so write him. The writing's the, way off base. They did the artwork, the, yeah. Yeah, the art sounds like it was great. So. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, the Serpent is really impressive to the point where I, this is one of my favorite Carmen Infanto, Infantino pieces in Who's Who. Okay. Well, sort yeah, of, you don't have sort to Sort of faint praise, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, history's really interesting. Very, very warlike history. Yes. They talk about all these different races they fought and battled with for possession of the planets. Like, God, wow. It says Rand has, Rand has been conquered several times in recent years, but always freed, thanks not only to Adam Strange, but also Hawkman and the Justice League of America. The most persistent of these conquerors has been Kanjar Ro. It really is a frequent target. Even in post crisis, like after, you know, around 2005 with Infinity Crisis and all that, or Infinite Crisis, um, I mean, Rand came out of the Rand Thanagar War, and I mean, just been a bunch of stuff. So, Adam, I still, uh, Alan Moore did a lot of really cool stuff with it in Swamp Thing as well. When uh, Swamp Thing went to Rand at one point. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, those I've, are I've really got, good I've stories. got those. Yeah, yeah, those are good stuff. I still recommend uh, to everyone check out uh, Adam Strange Planet Heist. It's a trade paperback. It's probably on in stock trades, I bet. And it's, uh, it's from around 2005. It's really good. They did some revamping of Adam Strange a little bit, where they gave him a new costume. But it's, oh, I love it. It's really good. Hmm. It's where I finally got the character. Interesting. Okay. All right. I might have to give that a shot because I said I like Adam Strange. Dude, have. the art, the art is astonishing in it. Every page is like a beautiful piece of art. You Who just did? Stood. That guy. Okay. Thank you. You talk about the next entry. I'll look it up. All right. Raish Agul. Yeah, baby. That's what we're talking about. Of course, one of the great, <laughs> one of the great Batman villains for Spirits of Batman number two thirty two. Art by Jerry Bingham. Obviously, this was a point where Neil Adams just was not doing anything for DC because this clearly should have been a Neil Adams drawing. So they got Jerry Bingham, who was kind of like Neil Adams-ish uh, in terms of his style. Uh, we see him with his daughter Talia. We see him laying in bed as he's about to go into the Lazarus pit. And then we see a scene that is taken right from the first racial storyline of him and Batman dueling out in the desert where Batman is going shirtless but still has his cowl on, which is one of my favorite looks. Well, that was their fa- first meeting? Yeah. That was like, yeah. It, was a, it was like a three or four issue story. Of, uh, of Batman going out into the desert and getting involved in this whole thing with Ra's al Ghul. So, yeah, that's what that's from. Uh, it's, I, yeah, this is one of the great Batman villains, as is evidenced by the fact that he, you know, basically forms the arc of the Chris Nolan films. Right. You know, I mean, he's basically the backbone of two of the three films. Uh, and it says he is, uh, I think one time Batman referred to him as the most dangerous man he knows. Hmm. Which is, okay. I like that. Uh, in the Powers of Weapons, it talks about the Lazarus Pit and uh, about what it does to you. And uh, it says, unknown if further immersions in the pit would be efficacious, which is, I'm sure, the only listing to end with that word. <laughs> I am going to say something controversial. I don't care about this character very much. <gasps> yes, I know. Everyone just freaked out. I, I, don't, I don't dislike it. I'll put that for it. It's not like I dislike the character. I just don't care about him. He he shows up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's supposed to be a real badass. Okay, yeah. And I've read not a lot of comics with him, but, you know, he shows – God knows he's shown up a bunch of times. Um, I've read a fair amount. 
and I just never get too jazzed. Now, at this point, you know, they had made a big deal by the 70s, but he wasn't top of mind. This is another character that in post-crisis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, because he's, you know, made it into movies, like you said. Now, by the way, the Jerry Bingham thing, I would say the real reason they got Jerry Bingham to draw this, because he was working on Son of the Demon at the time. I guess so, yeah, because later on, yeah, they have one of the few stories that, like, DC took out of continuity about a minute after they published it. <laughs> well, not anymore, right? Well, no, not not anymore. But I mean, that for many years, that graphic novel DC was like, no, 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 no. Actually, actually, I don't know much about Damien's origin. I don't know if that if Son of Demon is back in continuity or if they came up with a different origin for for Damien. It's a different know. origin. It's a different. Origin. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Look at that. Okay. Um, what is he doing at the top? Is he just taking a nap? Is that what that is? Well, let's take him in his chamber. And in his, I mean, it looks like he is rising from the Lazarus pit, but he isn't because he's got the blanket on him. So he's yeah, he's laying in bed. <laughs> yeah, he's just laying in bed. Well, he's you know he's magisterial. Maybe maybe he just got out of the Lazarus pit or something. Could be. And he's like coming uh, to his senses. Now, one of the things that Jerry Bingham does here that uh, Neil Adams purposely didn't do is Neil Adams did not give Rashad Gould eyebrows. He purposely didn't give him eyebrows because he thought it would give him an odd, very strange look. And here he's got eyebrows. He's got a very thick brow now. I mean, you could argue that maybe that's just the, the shadow of the brow, but to me, in like the the side portrait, it looks like he's got eyebrows. Well, he's definitely got eyebrows in, this, in, this, in the profile. Right. In the thir- but in, in, in when Neil Adams first drew him, he purposely did not give him any any eyebrows. Just like gave him a <laughs> weird thing to, to not do. Hey, yeah, hey, it's Neil Adams, you know. Um, I love in the uh, in the history. It's one of the few times that their a sentence has an exclamation point. Which I just think is fun. It's like oh. the, the writer. But he talks about, he says, uh, the Batman, uh, not, he, let's say, Raish then revealed that he had chosen Batman not merely as the only worthy successor to his vast organization, the League of Assassins, but also as the only man worthy of marrying his daughter! Exclamation mark. <laughs> and then it is flattered, the Batman nonetheless refused. It is known that he cares for Talia deeply. Yeah, so much that they fostered a baby in the graphic novel. Who, um, who wrote those issues in Neil Adams, Drew? Danny O'Neill. We're seeing if his name was part of the contributing writers. It's not. No, it's Interesting. Not. No. So somebody had a passion for it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it was a big villain. It was a big villain. This is another one that my stepson knew when he was going through yeah. um, the Who's Who. And he came to it where it says former head of the League of Assassins. And that, like, actually upset my stepson. He's like, what? Former? Why? What happened? <laughs> and, you know, and, and he doesn't really, he didn't really process that this book is 30 years old. You know, even though he knew it was, to him... He, he lives in the moment because he's 14. So at the moment, he's reading this, and at the moment, as far as he's concerned, you know, Rajah Agul is not in charge of the you know, League of Assassins anymore. It really upset him. Uh, my, my stepson, he's, um, he roots for the villains more than the heroes, to be Good honest. To know. So Good he's, to know. Uh, he's on, I tell him constantly, I'm like, you're, you know you're going to be a Sith, right? You keep this up. So, he's anyway. going to fit in in Florida quite well. Next up, uh, is, next up is Raven, art by George wait, per- Yes. I'm interrupting. Adam Strange. So I looked it up. Adam Strange – well, I was told you I was going to come back to it. Adam Strange Planet Heist. It's trade paperback uh, written by Andy Diggle and art and cover by Pascal Ferry. Okay. It's All right. gorgeous. All right. So I don't know if it's on InStock Trades or not. It's definitely on Amazon because that came up when I searched. So. Okay. All right. Next up, it said Raven by George Perez. Great drawing. Beautiful. One of, one of I think, George's best. I think he clearly has like a love for this character. Maybe more than some of the others, probably because this is one of his create him is one of his co-creations. I, I have to feel that they probably have a little bit of a warmer spot for you know for Cyborg and Starfire and Raven than they do the other guys. Well, some, somebody's got to care about that, this oh, character. Jeez, now come on, uh, Aldrigo Nun, and this is her in her white outfit as opposed to the blue, which is 
the thing that she's generally more associated with. That's how she appears in Teen Titans Go. Uh, she has a, an amazing level, a bunch of powers. She can do a lot <laughs> of different stuff. It gets into the powers of weapons, and it says, Raven possesses several important powers. She's an empath who can sense pain and disease and remove them from a person's body and assimilate them into her own where they are expunged. But to do so causes Raven great personal pain. So she's a real hero. She's great. It's a wonderful drawing. It is a really, really nice drawing. As you said, I, I, I have to agree. I think this is one of Perez's best. He really put a lot of heart and soul into this. The design, it's not just the art, but it's also the design, yeah. the layout. It's really, really the well done. Serpent going over the main drawing, which is always a nice touch. Yep. He's got the, the classic George Perez, you know, billowing smoke. And he uses that to great effect with the Serpent. Just really nice done. Now, a couple different things. Um, you know, Jericho's in the Serpent. Even that doesn't ruin the entry. Because uh, he's injured, it looks like. So that's okay. And it, it looks... I mean, all right, let's just... Let's, uh, the elephant in the room. I don't know many people that care about this character. Really, seriously. Like, this character is like, oh, yeah, Raven. Okay. I will Sure. T- I will tell you something. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the couple that introduced... Tracy and I, mm-hmm. they have a young daughter, and every year for Halloween, she goes as Raven. Really? Yep. Now, it's, well, Raven, it's Raven from Teen Titans Go, of course, but it's still sure. it's Raven. It's Raven. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Now, okay, I, I hadn't taken factored that in, you know, that there could be a whole other generation of people that got into Raven through the cartoon. Maybe so. Okay. I, I've never known anyone that cared about Raven from the comics, but maybe the cartoon is something. I um, She actually makes really good sense if you think about her in terms of role-playing games, which I know how much you love those. Mm-hmm. But she is a fantastic utility character for a role-playing game because she has no offensive powers. She has a whole bunch of powers that help the team, and she uses them to great effect, but she's not the person you say, go attack the bad guy. She hangs back and helps the team. So from that perspective, she's really good for that. So. One other thing I noticed just on the art uh, on the art level, uh, Perez made her pretty flat chested, which yes. is just a nice change of pace because most superheroines in comics look like Christy Canyon, and here, you know, she a lot of women are not built like that, so it's kind of nice just for the you know to have a diversity of body type mm-hmm. that she's fairly flat chested. Just or you could just say she's not overly endowed. Well, it's, it's, it's okay. There's nothing. Isn't it? I don't. Okay. Flat justice is, is sort of insulting. I guess so. I don't mean it to be, but she, yeah, she, she's, she's very small. She's a very small chest, which is again nice, diverse body types. That's good. She's petite. She's, well, she's not petite because, she, well, chest wise, but I mean, I, she's five eleven, pretty big. Uh, okay, good pretty point. Tall, pretty so, tall girl. Either way, they DC has gotten a lot of mileage out of this character yes. over the years. Oh yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well done. Next up, the Ray, Woo-hoo! drawn by Murphy Anderson, uh, for another character. Purchased from another company. He first appeared in Smash Comics number 14. His alter ego is Happy. His name is Happy Terrell. Happy Terrell. Very nice. This was another guy who, like, as you mentioned, like, really became a big deal post-crisis. And, man, he was used quite effectively in um, Kingdom Come. He was, like, a big deal, like, in terms of how powerful he was yeah. he was turned into so and here it's it's nice artwork i hate those little booties that murphy anderson's fun drawing and all <laughs> damn superheroes um but i mean it's a very dynamic drawing he's flying towards the reader you've got that uh, like a, a beam of light sort of shooting out it looks like kind of a bat signal thing almost but it's also got that slight v for victory feeling 
from what kind of a World oh, War II I era thing. Pick up on that, yeah. but that's well, yeah. It's a really nice drawing. I, it's really, really sharp. I like his origin. He, he was on the outside of a, a strato balloon, and he gets struck by lightning. I mean, this is a cool classic origin. I absolutely love that. It mentions Earth X. I know you love that. I was getting to that. Yep, yep. <laughs> he was a member of the Freedom Fighters, uh, Roy Thomas's Freedom Fighters. He was also part of the All Star Squadron. So, therefore, he had to travel back and forth to Earth X, which I don't have a problem with Earth X. I just want to make this perfectly clear to the listeners at home. I have got a reputation for hating Earth X. That is not true at all. I love Earth X. Well, I don't love what the Nazis did there, but I enjoy stories with EarthX. I enjoy an All Star Squadron. What I do not like is when a tremendous amount of landscape is spent in Who's Who, detailing the trips backwards and forwards between EarthX and other worlds. It's not necessary. It's just like I was saying earlier about some of the entries where you hear, "And this happened, and this happened, and this." I don't care about that. I just want the essence of the character. And you can say in here, "And he went to EarthX," and that's all you got to say. You don't need to say that he went to EarthX, and then he went back to EarthX, or and then EarthX after Crisis didn't happen. So what? It's a damn shame they never did Who's Who in EarthX. Okay, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times EarthX, and that's just a quick look. EarthX is referenced here, and then that's combined with Earth One. I'm sure there's some Earth Two references in here. It's just I don't need to know all that where he went, and then he went to the bathroom on Earth X, and then he went back to Earth Two for some toilet paper, you know, whatever. Anyway, great character, and post crisis stuff like his son Ray Terrell, who became the Ray, like one of my all time favorite characters. Love him. Yeah, it's cool. They said they got a lot of mileage. This is one of their better purchases from the quality uh, staple of characters. When, when they revamped them with the son, do you know who drew it? Uh, I'm forgetting. Who was it? Joe, Joe Quesada, editor-in-chief right. of Marvel Comics. That's right. That's right. Irony. <laughs> I don't know if that's irony. Uh, next up is our first split page. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. Reactron from the Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, number eight. Uh, I should not make fun of this guy because he was created by Paul Kupperberg, so, you know, I'm going to be nice. He would have made a great superpowers figure. I know he said that earlier about, oh, yeah. uh, what's his name? Who's, who's the other one I said it about? Oh, Quakemaster. But I really made it for Reactron. You could just see the built-in superpower right here. You squeeze that thing and, like, his arms go up and he gives you, like, a nuclear punch or something like that. Hey, that's already, atomic punch is already taken. Thank All you right, much. sorry, sorry. Uh, radiation blast or something like Ooh, that. Ooh, that's good. That yeah. good. He is an incredibly doofy-looking guy, but <laughs> the, 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 the costume is ridiculous. But I just can't help I, – I, the figure would have been killer. It would have been a great killer. Um, he is a Vietnam veteran, which that by itself is kind of a unique thing. That really – you know, this is not that far removed from the end of the Vietnam War. You're talking barely a decade. And yeah. so it was still kind of unique for that – for anybody to have even mentioned that – conflict that war in a superhero comic book so props to Kupperberg for even bringing it up that's a good point that's a good point uh it, it talks about here how he, um so in the last encounter reactron and supergirl were in the middle of a huge atomic explosion over chicago blah 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 um so he exploded basically is what the deal is but there's no evidence of his death and then it goes on uh, since then uh no proof of reactron's death has been found just sort of an odd statement since then no pr- proof of his death has been found odd and it talks about here, too, uh, later on it goes, he was virtually unbeatable, and then I have to say, except that he was, uh, <laughs> you know, so there's that. I mean, his villains, or I'm sorry, he's a villain, and his enemies include the daring new adventures of Supergirl and the new Doom Patrol. So, 
he's not really rating that high at this point. He's not, yeah, he's not topping the charts. So now Sterling Gates, it, because of our podcast, uh, some some listeners were chatting on Twitter about because he showed up in the background of a different entry in who's who. I don't remember whose it was. Oh, that's right. We couldn't name who it was, and then Chris Franklin was the one who popped up and said it's Reactron. Okay, I, mean, I thought it was Ange who said that. Was it? Uh, Either way, right. somebody did on Twitter. And Sterling Gates jumped in on the discussion, the writer who, who wrote Supergirl, and he said they were actually planning on introducing a new version of Reactron in his book before, the, before it ended. So, Aww. interesting. Yeah. Uh, sharing the other half of the page is Red B, the killer, the most dynamic superhero ever in history, who, uh, whose powers, well, basically he unleashed trained bees to attack his opponents. As it says here, it is not known how he managed to control the bees so well. He was also a superb hand to hand, uh, superb athlete and hand to hand combatant. His most famous thing, I think, to most people our age, is that he died in All Star Squadron, and uh, then the crisis undid all that because it mentions right here uh, that he died. Uh, as a member of the Freedom Fighters, and the Red Bee, the Red, the Red Bee traveled to the parallel world of Earth X. There's your favorite thing, mentioning Earth X, where he was killed. However, history was altered by the crisis on Infinite Earth so that Earth-X did not exist. In the new history, Red B served the All-Star Squadron and the Freedom Fighters, but his later activities after 1942, if any, have yet to be recorded. So even that ignominious death that Roy Thomas gave him, which is probably like the one moment anybody remembers of the Red B, has been erased from continuity. I'm just going to start this discussion by saying, back the hell off the Red B, okay? Like, I'm not shitting you. This is like my favorite unknown character ever. Okay. I absolutely about kidding. Because I've never read anything with him. So I'm happy. Well, you read that issue of All Star Squadron. I read the issue of All Star Squadron. Fair okay. enough. But I've certainly never read Hit Comics number one. Yeah, he's another him. purchase from another company. I should have said that. He's a, another quality comics purchase. He is absolutely ludicrous. Not only are they trained bees, he keeps them in his belt. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, it's, it is so ridiculous. What's that buzzing? And he's wearing puffy sleeve, you know, Firestorm slash pirate shirt, you know, with, with the red tunic. I mean, actually, it's sort of the top half is sort of like Firestorm's costume with the red tunic with the pointy shoulder points and the puffy sleeves. But it's 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 so nuts. He's so crazy that this guy, like I, every time I read it as a kid, I was like, his power does what? And so whenever we were making up characters, I would bring back the Red Bee, like, all the time. I wanted the Red Bee to come back because I thought it was so ludicrous, and I wanted to find a way to make him cool. I mean, nowadays, he'd probably be like, you know, the Crimson Wasp or something. Oh, know. and he, his bees would come from a parallel dimension, and, yeah, it would be all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, or, or the, the Scarlet Hornet, you know, whatever. But, yeah, either that or he would transform into a bee or something like that, yeah. And uh, I just thought it was... Like the greatest untapped character because I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to revamp him before someone else does. Well, to this day, still no one has, as far as I know. I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. If, if he has shown up somewhere, I'd love to hear, or a revamp of him, I should say. And he's from Superior City, so you can't knock that. I think it's where Russell Burbage is from. Uh, it's exactly where Russell yeah. Burbage is from, actually. He I, is from Superior City. I'm trying to picture this guy at All Star Squadron meetings, standing shoulder to shoulder with Doctor Fate and Green Lantern, being like, "Yeah, we're all heroes, right? Yeah, we we'll love our thing." Probably not shoulder to shoulder. He's, he's only five nine and a half. Well, all right. Still, I mean, just you know, assuming, he's assuming parity with some of those with Superman and Doctor Fate. I just, I, I, I enjoy that idea. What's your gimmick? Oh, I have trained bees. Really? Yeah, I have trained bees. So. No, really? No, no. What? They're in my belt. 
<laughs> Here, let me smear honey on your face. Let's see what happens. Um, now, to be fair, he is an assistant district attorney. I mean, that's he, he worked hard for that career. Yeah. And this shouldn't, is how shouldn't he be a beekeeper in his occupation? Uh, may, well, that would th- yeah, I don't know. Well, the, oh yeah, because then all the various people trying to find out who his secret identity would be given away. Then it, exactly, it'd be too easy. Yeah, Lois Lane would find out in a minute. So I like the red. Okay, right. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, he, didn't he? Didn't he show up in Golden Age? Also, I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway. Uh, anyway, next up is Red Star, a character from the original Teen Titans series, first appearance of Teen Titans number eighteen. This one is drawn by Eduardo Barreto, who I believe was drawing Woo-hoo. the Teen Titans book. At this point, um, right? if it wasn't at this point, pretty soon de- he definitely was at some at some point. Yeah, uh, he is a Russian superhero, and in fact, his occupation is national hero. Awesome. Yeah, he's. I mean, Putin would approve of this guy absolutely. Actually, he's a Soviet hero, not a Russian. Hmm. He's a Soviet hero. A Soviet. Hero. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> His powers and weapons, accidental ir- irradiation while in an alien spacecraft, increase Leonid speed, strength, stamina, and agility to superhuman levels. When under strong as, say, Superman, it's always the gold star, Red Star is able to lift heavy objects and outrun most everyone. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. sound that impressive. I can outrun most everyone. Oh, good. Okay, good for you. We see him using his powers. The drawing by Eduardo Prado is great. Uh, we see him punching the crap out of Robin lifting a giant chunk of rock, and then we see him without his costume. So it's a really it's a really sharp drawing. Now, a couple of things that are interesting about this character is, you know, they don't talk about it as powers and weapons, but they should really talk about the fact that he's either immortal or ages very slowly because the, the meteor that gave him his powers, he found that in 1908. <laughs> what the hell? So clearly he's not a teen. So... Um, I do love the whole national hero aspect. I mean, he's sort of like a, a Russian Captain America, really, is what he is. So uh, now, uh, in post-crisis, he became a lot beefier, a lot bigger, bulkier, and they did some stuff with him in New Titans, which was kind of cool. Imagine this drawing, if you will, Mr. Kelly, in black and white. Stay with me here. Imagine, like, stri- in your mind, strip away the color. Yes. Okay. That's Booster Gold. Okay. See it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean know. the boots are wrong, right? And boot, but yeah. collar, goggles, star in the chest, you know, yeah, like right, the serpent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The serpent one maybe might be even more obvious, you know. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, that's true. That's true. The serpent yeah. one really looks like it. Yeah. And his original name, by the way, Red Star was not his original name. His original name was Starfire. Right. And I guess Marv Wolfman was like, no, 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 we can't have that. So. They, they, they switched it, obviously. I, I assume that's when it happened. It was in the, well, there was in a the, 70s Starfire as well. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, another, a female, another female character. So maybe they might have changed it even at that. But, but I bet you're right. By the time Marvel Wolf wanted to bring him in, it's like, well, we already have a Starfire. So. Yeah. So I, I love the art. Art's gorgeous. Yeah, I, and, stuff. you know, one thing I don't know, that you, maybe you mentioned, but in the background, you get the gorgeous star with uh, some interesting design patterns coming out of it that are almost make the T for Titans. But uh, it's it's really cool. Yeah, it's got the yeah. That's true. It's a good thing you mentioned that. It's got that style is like a little bit of the Russian constructivist poster style mm. art style. That time, so that would be appropriate for that kind of. Thing. It wouldn't surprise me that Water Barreto threw that in because he said he's a great artist. It's cool stuff. Good stuff. Uh, next up, my single favorite drawing of the book. 
is my favorite <laughs> listing. The Red Tornado and the Cyclone Kids, who is the original version of that character, not related to the one later on. Uh, her uh, alternate identity is Ma Hunkle, and she first appeared as Ma Hunkle in All-American Comics number 3, and then as Red Tornado in All-American number 20. She's basically a housewife with two little kids, and she runs out and gets in adventures as the Red Tornado. As you say, she has a, um, a, um, a pot on her head as her, as her mask. Uh, she was created by <laughs> Sheldon Mayer, who did Sugar and Spike, and so they got him to do the drawing here. It's a really, really cute drawing. It's very charming. She appeared in the same issue of All-Star, All-Star Comics with the rest of the JSA when they formed the team for the first time. And she wanted to join the team, but uh, she accidentally got her tights caught in a windowsill, and she was... Uh, 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 ended up uh, running around bare-assed in the neighborhood, and she was so embarrassed that she ended up not being part of the team. Well, at this point, everyone thought it was a guy, and yeah. that's part of you know that's part of the problem. She was going to give away her secret identity, right? You know, yeah. I mean, and, and if you don't know the history in this, this is pretty interesting stuff. Um, I heard it on somebody else's podcast, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember whose. Uh, it's probably one of our listeners too, so I apologize to you. She, it was a funny book. First of all, it wasn't right. a, yeah. a serious strip; it was a funny book. And it really was from the Scribbly strip. Sheldon Mayer had been doing a strip about this character named Scribbly. Right. And Scribbly in the, in the series gets to know Ma Hunkle's son. And so there's a lot of connection between Scribbly's world and his world. And then she sort of became more popular. And so she became a very important part of the strip. She was, she was active for about four years as, uh, you know, in the 40s as this character between Red Tornado or just being Ma Hunkle, depending on what they needed for the story. But it's just, I love the fact that they took an, a genuine humor book and made it part of the DC universe. Yep. yep. So cool. And, and Jeff Johns used her to great effect in his JSA series. He actually brought her in as Ma Hunkle in his JSA series. Right. And then her granddaughter, her great-granddaughter, went on to become a cyclone. That's which right. Which was, uh, you know, a, a legacy of both this Red Tornado and the, the Silver Age one. In uh, DC Special number 29, which is the origin of the Justice Society, the one that was drawn by Joe Staten and Bob Layton, written by Paul Levitz, which is like one of my all-time favorite comic stories, the opening page features a group shot of all the JSAers that ever were in one group, mm-hmm. and Joe Staten drew Ma Hunkle in way in the background. You see like half her face. Aww. And I remember at the time being like, who's that? You know? And they had a key in the back of the book, and you're like, oh, I love that he just threw her in. I thought that was really cute. Now, I don't know if you – did you mention the fact that she's just wearing a pot on her head? Yes, I did. Yeah. It's just, okay. It's just the pot. Yeah. Her, two, her two kids are trailing behind her on her cape. It's really cute. It's really charming. I wish these were reprinted, these stories somewhere. They're really well, we cute. This will definitely go on the Tumblr. Yeah, no doubt absolutely. about it. Next up is the other Red Tornado, the one we're more, and we're more familiar with. Now, this is the first one I'm going to say that like, I was actually kind of disappointed with. It's art by Joe Brozowski and Greg Feekston. He's just standing there. Now, I know in the background he's using his powers, but I feel like, much like with the Plastic Man previous issue, he should be, like, flying around or something. It's it's a very boring pose. Yeah, his legs should absolutely be at the turn. Yeah, yeah. And he's also way too small in the, the, the drawing. Um, and the the history of him, the actual part of his life where he was John Smith and Red, as Red Tornado only gets one paragraph out of the five. Mm-hmm. Like it really, it spends a lot of time on the setup. Then it's like, oh yeah, then he was Red Tornado and he was John Smith. Oh, but now he's off. Now he's a uh, Earth Elemental in the Crisis on the Infinite Earths. So it's like I really feel like he got a short, short shrift here, kind of both visually and in the in the text. Unfortunately, the whole page is a mess. 
unfortunately. It really is. Um, starting off with Joe Brozowski, I mean, I like Joe because he's a Firestorm artist, but... Uh, you know, they teamed with Greg Thiexton, who's typically a Jack Kirby inker, and you can kind of see the influences of Kirby on the faces in the background. But it's, um, yeah, you, you, all the all the reasons you just described. I, I think they were working towards something, because Brzezowski drew not only this one, and he draws Tio Morrow as well. Okay. So I got to wonder if DC was working towards something with that. I don't know. Because, you know, they had just finished the, the miniseries with Carmen Infantino, right. which was a bit, big, big fed. Dud, if I understand, remember correctly. Um, well, okay. well, I don't think it did well, did it? No, but that okay. Well, then that was the perfect time to mention. I have an article in the newest issue of Back Issue number seventy-two, oh, which yeah. is all about Red Tornado. And like, I really like that miniseries. It's written, oh, by, it's okay. written by Kurt Busiek. In what? In the middle of that miniseries, literally in the middle, while it was like number two and number three were coming out. They did the JLA annual where he becomes a, 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 a wind elemental, and it just completely destroys everything Kurt Busiek was working towards in that miniseries. Oh, okay. And it's like, wh- wh- who's coordinating this? Like, you, it's like literally like, why am I even reading the rest of these issues when I know that Red Tornado and Kathy split up, and he becomes this elemental and disappears and wants to hate all of Earth? It, it, like, it's the craziest thing. It's it's really really very strange. That miniseries is, I think, pretty underrated. The the artwork, okay. the artwork, you know, it's Infantino in his later years, and I don't think it was particularly great. But the stories, I went back and reread them, of course, for the article, and I was like, boy, this is like kind of like way better than I remember it. Well, Busick, obviously, I mean, he's a great writer, yeah, and, and loves to take continuity and weave it really intelligently. So I, I bet, I bet, as me, you know, I'm knocking it just from hearsay, not from. It w- yeah, it certainly wasn't any game changer. I mean, if it had sold really well, they would have undone the JLA annual, and that would have been the end of it. But uh, it just seems so strange that Busek worked so hard to put Richardino in a better place at the end of that series, and by then DC had already upended it all. It's very. Odd. I tell you, it had a it had a great promotional campaign going on. Yeah, you know, the the house ads and stuff. Batteries really not included. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a shame it didn't work out. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and I wish this entry was put together a little better because, like, you know, the history, too, it's very detailed, very complex. And it's a, it's a complex character anyway. I mean, you sit there and start talking about Tornado you know, tornado Tyrant, Tornado Champion, JSA, JLA, Elemental. He's got four first appearances. Right. I mean, it's a lot to squeeze into five paragraphs, you know. It's like, woof. So, it's, I, I wish he had gotten a better shot. Yeah, maybe that's why they gave him such prominence on the cover. They felt sorry for him. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> uh, next up, the Reverse Flash. Hey, I'm sorry. What issue of back issues that uh, in for people to look up? Number seventy-two. There you go, folks. On the stands now. Uh, in theory, yes. <laughs> I think you have to like order it. I don't think anybody just gets it offhand. But it's a, it's an old robots issue featuring a cover on the Metal Men by Mike Allred. My, my comic shop stocks. Back issue on the show. Does it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a great magazine. Yeah, no, I know that. But I'm saying most comic shops I know of do not stock it, just inherently. You have to work. Oh, okay. Anyway, the next up, the Reverse Flash, who really should be under P for Professor Zoom. I don't really remember him being called Reverse Flash in any official way, but here he really? is. Yeah, I was maybe called him Professor Zoom. I mean, here he's called Zoom when they refer to him. They refer to him in Zoom in every paragraph. They're Zoom, Zoom did this, Zoom did that, Zoom did this. That is fascinating. Yeah. Because, see, someone does write in a letter to that effect. But I always assumed he was the reverse Flash. I never realized he – now, I knew he you know, could be Professor Zoom. I knew that name was out there. 
But I didn't realize Reverse Flash was not his supervillain name. I guess I just didn't, because I, I didn't read a lot of the Barry Allen Flash stuff. Right. Like, even when Firestorm was in it, I would just kind of half-ass read the front story, because I just didn't care, because it was Infantino in his later years, and I had a hard time connecting with it. But that's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah I mean, said in the, in the listing, they're calling him Zoom in every paragraph. I mean, he mentions that he reversed the colors of the costume and called himself the Reverse Flash. So, I mean, I guess that's why he never really was officially one way or the other. I always thought of him as Professor Zoom. I think when we did that Superpowers episode... He, yeah. the, the, when he was the proposed figure, I think they call him Reverse Flash. So, yeah, I, I just, that's oh. what I was assumed. I assumed Professor Zoom was like an alias. And I mean, that's his real name. Called, yeah. Well, it's Adrian, uh, it's a bar, Eobard Thrawn. Or an alias Professor Adrian Zoom. Yeah. So I just assumed Reverse Flash was his supervillain name, and Thrawn, I'm sorry, and Zoom was like a fake villain name that got retconned somewhere. But mm. anyway. Uh, the artwork, uh, once again, it's Infantino, and it's a Flash villain, which means just stand there, hands on hips, look at my crotch, look at my crotch. Uh, we see him menacing Irish, 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 why can't I say Irish? Iris West. And then we see uh, him getting strangled by Flash, which, of course, led to that whole trial that went on for five years. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Listing. Yeah. Interesting when you read it, because they talk about how, like, I didn't realize, like, in his earliest appearance... He had a he had one of Barry's suits, and that's what actually gave him his speed powers, which is fascinating. Like he somehow extrapolated the speed powers from Barry's costume. Uh, eventually, he got the powers imbued in him. But anyway, and at one point, he posed. He comes back in time and poses as Barry Allen to fool Iris, yeah. which is uh, something he would do later on in later years. I'm not going to specify where, but there's a great, great story out there where he does it in post crisis. Uh, and then he friggin' mur- straight up murders Iris. Yes, he does. Tries to murder Flash's second wife, Fiona. Yep. And then, as you mentioned, Flash breaks his neck. I mean, what a, what a, like, if you just hear that and don't know anything else about the character, like, wow, what a setup for the character. You know how we kill Iris? They don't mention it here. Uh, she was dressed as Batgirl at a costume party, right? Right. But, I mean, what, how he actually, what he actually did? No, what's he do? He vibrated his hand into her brain. Oh, <gasps> holy crap. It just says he murdered her. It, they don't yeah. get into the details, but man, that is, yeesh. like, it's pretty smart. I think that's the moment that Alex Ross says the DCU is no longer the DCU for him. Like, I think, I think yeah. all of his stories take place before that moment. I think, like, in his mind. Yeah, and Firestorm joined the JLA 15 minutes later, right. so Firestorm uh, doesn't get counted. Missed it. Yep. So I, I have very few action figures on my desk. Uh, I've got a Firestorm, a Blue Devil, uh, pretty much, and for some reason, I don't know why, but I have always kept. This reverse flash, total justice action figure. Oh, God. I had to mail away to Wizard Magazine to get it. It may not even been total. It was the total justice body types. It may have been when it was the JLA line, okay. whatever. Okay, all right. Oh, but, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but it's a reverse flash figure, and I've always kept it on top of my modem. Like Professor Zoom is like my modem to go fast. It's, it's a weird thing. It's still there to this day. I'm looking at it. So, anyway. Interesting. There you go. Now you know a little more about me. Yeah, the more you know. <laughs> Next up, Rex the Wonder Dog, who first appeared in Rex the Wonder Dog number one. Full name, Rex. Uh, known relatives, Pooch, brother. Can now, you believe it? This is the great, first of all, I lo- the artwork's by Gil Kane. It's a wonderful listing. It looks, this just looks like a, uh, an issue of Boy's Life uh, with all sorts of wonderful <laughs> adventures. 
there's Pooch and the chimp, and then he's rescuing a baby, and then he's getting involved in these adventures. This has the this is the greatest history of any character in this book, maybe in any of the surrounding issues, because uh, it talks about <laughs> it talks about all the adventures. Now, if there is one place in the DC universe that you would say there's no way is going to possibly factor into the Rex the Wonder Dog history, what would that place be? Um. Anywhere with Detective Chimp? Uh, well, no. It mentions uh, Rex gets involved with Skitaris. Oh, oh. No, wait. It gets better. It gets better. Yeah, I know. It does get better. No, I know. It, yeah, I'm going somewhere with this. But it mentions the dimensional land of Skitaris because he, he Rex travels his way to Skitaris, which is fantastic. And it says, eventually, the years and the adventures began to take their toll on Rex. He and Danny, that's his, uh, Denny, which is his little, his little boyfriend there, were reduced to performing simple tricks at local benefits. Fortunately, Rex met Bobo the Chimp, see Detective Chimp, and the two animals inadvertently drank from the Fountain of Youth. Rex returned to prominence, and within a few years, he and Denny were walking on the moon. Wait, wait, that, what? <laughs> that is better than Skitaris right there, my friend. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> this is the most insane. Like, I, you know, you know, to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, well, this, he needs two pages. To explore this history, you can't just drop this moon reference and expect us to just move on to the next Richard Dragon Kung Fu fighter. Who cares? This is ridiculous. I want to know about Rex being on the moon. What is that about? This entry is so important to me. Uh, I I kid you not. Remember I said uh, this was very formative to me? Yes. This entry, and I probably talked about this in the show before, this entry screwed me up more than any other entry of Who's Who for what the DC Universe was about. Because... I just assumed, because I read this, that Rex was critical to the DC Universe. He got a full page, you know? And, you know, I didn't realize that Rex, in 1952 to 1959, started 46 issues of his own comic. You betcha. And only had two more appearances before Who's Who. That's it. Nothing else. He was in a DC Comics Presents. Exactly. Probably where he walked on the moon, I'm sure. (laughs) You know? Because I'm sure that didn't happen in his own series. (laughs) You never know. And, uh, well, I'm sure the whole thing with Bobo was after his series yes. ended. It had to be. So, anyway, it, it's got Pooch mentioned in here. This is now the third reference to Pooch in Who's Who, by the way. He was in The Losers. He had his own entry he shared with a couple other guys. And now here. I'm so excited that he's related to Pooch. I didn't know that until we did this reread. And, like, to me, I just assumed everyone knew who Rex was. So, when um, there was uh, some issues of Flash, and I'm blanking on the writer. It was right before Mark Wade was writing it. It was... Bah! Someone's yelling at their... My, Michael Bailey's yelling at his zone of phone right now that he knows what it is. I can't remember. Oh, well. Um, it, there was a story where all these animals became intelligent in either Central City or Keystone City, and Flash was dealing with all these intelligent gorillas and all this stuff. Anyway... I don't know if this is actually the cliffhanger, but how I remember it, there's like a, a big dramatic buildup, and there's this giant, what appears to be giant white dog. It's really just a forced perspective in the drawing, but giant white dog, and he says, or thought bubbles, he goes, my name is Rex. I'm here to help. <laughs> and I'm punching the air, reading this, you know, going, yeah, Rex is here. Hell yeah. And everyone's like, what the, What are you talking about? Who the hell's Rex? I'm like, it's Rex. Everyone knows who Rex is. And who's who? screwed up my understanding of the DC Universe. Okay. God bless him for it. Yeah. And by the way, I love his font. 
the Rex font. That is yes. a great font. I mean, not a font necessarily, but just I love the lettering style. It just the whole thing's it, great. It kind of makes you me should, want to read the Rex comics. Well, you, which you should go out to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. I don't know if it's there. I found it on a comic book database, but some of the covers to the original Rex issues are so. You're right. They're ju- they're right out of Boy's Life. Yep. They're fantastic. They're yep. great. Because yeah. he wasn't fighting supervillains, guys. No, he was just, no, he was getting in adventures and fighting. Adventures with yeah, him and a teenage boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah and we see him. Uh, we see him biting two guys with they look who look kind of shady. We don't really see them, but they're in suits and they look kind of like thugs or something. We see Rex attacking them. So yeah, it's it's great. It's it's a beautiful listing, and it's it's a nice tribute to a more innocent time of the DC universe. You know, yeah. So. Next up is Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter. Art Everybody book. was Kung Everybody Fu Fighting. Art by Bill Ray, who another guy. This is like the DC implosion issue because this is another guy who got his own book right out of the gate. Like they just gave him his own series. Hmm. And then it got – I don't think it died in the DC implosion. I think it was canceled before that because it was more likely that it was trying to cash into the Kung Fu craze. They of, had to be. Of, well, of you know, mid-70s. So. You, know, you know where his first appearance is? Richard it is Dragon. not Richard. It is not well, Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter. It's a novel right. that Denny O'Neill wrote with this other guy in 1974. That's right. That's right. Crazy. Yes. Now that's funny because they mentioned they don't mention that here, even though there was that other character that first appeared in a novel. Yeah, and they right. mentioned it there. Doctor Mist. Doctor Mist. That's right, Doctor Mist. So you know they didn't they didn't mention that here. Um, he was part of an espionage organization called Good. <laughs> so, right, 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 right over the plate there, uh, and he was—he became—he uh, was like lifelong friends with uh, Benjamin Turner, who later became Bronze Tiger. So these guys has like a whole like you know dueling uh, martial arts uh, expert guys. The artwork is really nice. I mean, really like the tones and stuff that Bill Ray put in. It's really—I mean, I think he's kind of doofy looking. Generally, he's very doofy, um, and he's got his little uh, lime wedge of justice there around his neck. But I mean, <laughs> the, the serpent stuff is killer. This is yes. great. Totally agree with that. And you see who uh, plays a critical role here in the history, Lady Shiva. That's right. It, it sounds I, now. I don't remember from her entry. You know, obviously we did it a few months back. It sounds almost like her first appearance was probably in this series. You know, she went on to huge fame in the DC universe. Yeah, Bronze yeah. Tiger went on to huge yeah. fame in the DC universe. I don't know that I've ever read a comic with this guy. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Um, I mean, he, he appeared a lot, you know, obviously in his own series. Later on, he went in to be in The Question for a while. Then he had his own title. Like, I didn't even know. He had his own title again in 2004 for, like, 12 issues or something. I think Scott really? McDaniel. Wow, Scott, I don't remember Scott McDaniel did the covers, at least. I, I found that out during my research. Um, I literally don't think I've ever read a comic with him, but I always remember him being referenced. Hmm. So, kind of strange. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Next up, the Riddler. Whoa! Art by Dave Mazzucchelli. Whoa! Cannot beat it. This is a great look. I mean, David Mazzucchelli, man. He. I wish they had done more Batman than just Year One because he nailed it. I mean, he just totally got it, and he does a great Riddler here. Riddler is just overjoyed with his own villainy here. He's just like reaching out to the heavens. You can hear that Frank Gorshin laugh. <laughs> There's a nice close-up of him without his mask. Then you can see him with, like, a boxing glove kind of thing. And then there's a great little shot of Batman and Robin pulling the whole uh, knock-him-over, stand-behind-him-and-knock-him-over <laughs> bit, which is great. And I love the shadows of just all the Batman's cape. This is just great. This is one of my favorite listings of the book. And, it's again, it makes me so sorry that Mazzuccelli never did any more Batman other than your one because 
it just would have been great to see him do, you know, get get a, get a shot at all the villains once around the horn or something like that. This is makes great. makes me appreciate uh, Daredevil: Born Again all that much more. Yeah, oh, <sighs> super talented guy. This is possibly the best overall entry of the book because it's put together so well. Like the art, everything you just said. Although I, I, mean, I am questioning the length of his legs and the length of his torso. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, uh, you're the art, art guy. You can tell me whether portions right or not. Yeah, but I think um, it's all right. it doesn't, doesn't bother me. The text is perfect. It is golden. It gives you the origin of the character. It tells you about his psychosis issues. It does not get into, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. It doesn't do that nonsense. It tells you about the character, gives you a sense of him, talks about there's a lot of history over the years kind of stuff. Perfectly well done. Excellent, exceptional. Oh, man, this is a great one. Yeah. Um, one little personal story I will mention. It talks about his first appearance was as Detective Comics number 140. Now, for people who don't, like, you know, maybe don't even think about it or just don't know the history, the Riddler is not one of Batman's 40s villains. He, it, he came along a lot later. He came along in, like, the late 40s. But he's not one of those guys that, that, that first appeared along with Two-Face, Catwoman, Joker. I mean, all those characters, and Penguin, of course. We've got to mention Penguin. All, <laughs> all first appeared within, like, a year of each other in the Batman comics. And Riddler came along a lot later. And when I was a teenager, there was a comic store in Philadelphia that I used to travel to that had all these classic, classic uh, <laughs> issues of detective comics on the wall and not having, I was making, you know, I was a teenager, of course, living with my mom and dad and I was making actually pretty decent money in my part-time job. And so I was flush and, you know, of course there weren't any girls to spend it on. So, uh, I just was buying old vintage comics and I was buying all these issues of detective comics because I was like, you know, here's my chance to get to own issues of detective from the 1940s, you know? The only one I didn't buy was Detective Comics number 140. And the reason I didn't buy it is because even though Riddler's on the cover, Mm -hmm. I figured, well, Riddler is a 40s villain, so that's no way that's his first appearance. Oh. Had I known, I would have bought the damn thing. And now it's probably worth like several thousand dollars because it's a a key issue. But I didn't know that. Well, Jim Jim Carrey did him in the movie. That's probably what they're going to value. Yes, obviously. Uh, but I didn't know that, and this was in the days before Google, so I couldn't, like, look it up, you know? I mean, I guess I could look it up in a price guide, but it never occurred to me to. So, of all the detectives, that's the only one I didn't buy, and that's the one that probably would have been worth, like, a car later on. So, <laughs> stupid, stupid kid. Stupid kid. Stupid kid. Stupid kid. <sighs> Next up, Rip Hunter, Time Master. Art by Tim Truman. Uh, there's Rip with his giant gun looking very menacing, although he has very dainty little boots. No, um, he does a pixie dude. Yeah, he's a little pixie boots. Uh, this character never did a whole lot for me. He first appeared in showcase number... <gasps> Sorry. Uh, hey, man, if you can diss on Ra's Ghoul, I can dip on Rip Hunter. I didn't diss on him, I just said I didn't care. Di- well, I'm just saying the same thing. I don't care. I don't care about this guy. This is time travel, though. Yeah, I know. He first appeared in showcase number 20. Good for him. Uh, you know, I think like later on he becomes he becomes Commandy or something. I didn't fully understand all that. No, that was um, Tommy Tomorrow. Oh, Tommy Tomorrow becomes Commandy. All right, see, I can't even. All right, or other way around. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, he's a time traveling guy. And he falls around in a giant orb, traveling in time, and we see some shots of his little crew that he's with him. Uh, yeah, you know. Okay. Oh, I hate you so much. Right. Um, love the art. 
Absolutely love, love, love the art. Tim Truman did a great job of this. Now, it's interesting because Tim Truman really wasn't drawing DC stuff at the time. He was drawing Airboy and Scout and Grimjack and stuff like that. So, so this Saber, I think, is another book that he was doing. Oh, maybe so. Okay. So this is definitely kind of a, one of those where they brought over an indie guy to do it. The art's great. I love the time travel aspect. I love the – like he's got a sword and an old type of gun. I mean he's kind of showing you like the different historical periods he's wearing, which is pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, the entry is a bit of a mess. It's another one of those where this happened and this happened, and you don't really get a sense for the character at all. You don't really get a sense for his crew that he travels with. It's clearly pictured in the Serpent. Uh, so that's a bit of a disappointment. For, for I know- a lighthearted strip, it looks very serious. Was it a lighthearted strip? I don't really know. Well, I mean, it was, it was in the 60s. I mean, it wasn't, you know, death and destruction. It just looks kind of grim here. He looks really grim. Well, it and, could have been adventurous. I don't know. Well, yeah. it's, I mean, they got Tim Truman, for God's sake. Well, that's right, right, right. So I, I know him from the Time Masters miniseries. And then from there, um, with, uh, you know, the, the all the Booster Gold stuff that they've done with him over the years. And his just various appearances with Forgotten Heroes and all that stuff. So, um I, you know, if they've ever reprinted his stuff, I, I might pick it up just to check it out. Curious if it's any good. It's time travel. You know, I love time travel. Okay. All right. He's got a brilliant mind. There is that. So, Next up is uh, Robin, the Golden Age Robin, art by Ken Stacy, which is kind of an unusual pick. I always love Ken Stacy's stuff. He's another guy that did not do a lot of DC work, so I thought it was kind of fun that they got him to do this listing. Again, this is the original Robin from Detective Comics number 38, Dick Grayson, you know. Uh, it mentions that he died heroically during the so-called The Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, and it just gets into the whole, I mean, it's basically, gets, it spends most of the time on his origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mo- Like the first one, two, three, four, like three paragraphs are just the origin. And then it talks about that he basically replaced Batman in the Justice Society when Batman went into retirement. So it really doesn't get into anything of his personal history at all. Um, but, and you know, I mean, again, they want to recount the origin. The artwork is really sharp, and he's wearing his Neil Adams-drawn costume, which is always one of my favorite suits. Yeah, thank goodness they didn't show the yeah, gray that, that suit. That gray one, that abomination. Oh, yeah. that, was, that was really bad with the scallops, Batman yeah, sort well, of he, look. With, yeah, yeah, it was it really is. bad. Now, this was, you know, this costume was sort of like an inspiration for what Tim Drake's costume eventually right, became. Right. So, um, you know, if you really step back from it and think about it, I mean, this character right here, the original Robin, is one of the single most important characters in the DC universe. Yes. Now, he doesn't look like the classic Robin, and you've already got Nightwing who had an entry, but he was there, as you said, 1940. I mean, Batman and Robin are the two of the most recognizable people in the DC universe, and this is the guy. This is the first one right here. Batman and so, Robin are two of the most recognizable characters in, in fiction. That's true. <laughs> uh, so, personally, I'm kind of disappointed that Ken Stacy did it. Um... I mean, he, he's known, as you said, for other stuff like Marvel Star Wars right now. I'm, I wasn't thrilled with the art. It's nothing bad about it. But for such an important character, I just would have loved to have seen, like, a classic Batman artist or somebody, you know. Jim Aparo really... would have been nice. Yeah, it would have been great. Now, also, I call absolute foul on this thing. Because under group affiliation, it lists All-Star Squadron and Justice Society America. No super squad. Excuse me? <laughs> Hello? Anyway, um, you know, I always wondered, and this is a little offbeat, but where he died, he says he died here with the Huntress. Was there any ever any like hanky panky going on between him and Huntress in Earth Two, or Why was it too much, or, or was it too much like brother sister kind of stuff? I would assume they were always they they acted like they were brother and sister. Okay, never mind. So all right, yeah, 
I just didn't know because they weren't, you know, truthfully. No. So, I love this Dick Grayson. I mean, I the the classic Dick Grayson and and like the JSA stuff, and I I loved 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 this guy. There, oh. there is a great issue of Brave and the Bold written by Alan Brenner. I mean, of course, it was great. It was written by Alan Brenner, which is <laughs> Batman and the Earth to Robin, and it explores the fractious relationship between them because, of course, Earth One, Batman treats treats Earth Two Robin like a kid, like a kid mm-hmm. sidekick, and Earth Two Robin has to keep reminding him, "You and I are about the same age, dude." <laughs> you, I am not your kid side, you know. I mean, even though I'm Robin, I am not your kid sidekick. It's a great, there's a great, and they they take on Hugo Strange, Hugo Strange. Yeah. So it's there's some great tension there. It's a wonderful story, and it's drawn it's by Jim bra- Apparel. You say it's Brave and Bold. Brave and the Bold number one eighty two. Yeah, I have yeah, to find that. My first Alan Burner comic that I ever read. Awesome, superb. Uh, next up is Robin, the other Robin. This one is Jason Todd. <laughs> what? Oh, the other guy. Well, yeah, oh, the other guy. Uh, Robin, drawn by Tom Mandrake. Um, uh, I like Tom Mandrake. This is not a great listing. I don't know why I don't like it. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. I can't point anything, but it's just there's something about it. Just well, kind Chris of, said it. The legs are way too long. Is that what it is? That's part yeah, of it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. It just. I, I think I'm bothered that in the one ch- – I mean, I understand Dick was Nightwing at this point, but it just there's, bothers me on a fun, fundamental level that at the one time DC did a universe-wide character directory, it's not Dick Grayson. You know? Look directly to your left. Yeah. Robin, Dick Grayson. So there it is. That's your compromise. I guess That's so. what DC clearly yeah, had to do. Yeah, I guess so. I think that – I honestly, I think they would have skipped that Robin entry on the left-hand side at this point, being post-crisis, if they hadn't felt the same way about needing a Dick Grayson. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. So, I mean, because you got Nightwing, Robin, Robin. I mean, how much – how many how many times they got to repeat this character in the book, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. The, the most interesting thing about this Robin entry – is you know it's it's pre-crisis Jason Todd. I don't want to give too much of a history lesson here, but folks, if you don't realize, pre-crisis Jason Todd is different than post-crisis Jason Todd. Oh yeah. Pre- pre-crisis Jason Todd was part of a circus, just like Dick Grayson. I mean, his origin's almost identical. It's his parents uh, were killed in a you know um, a, a criminal organization that got involved with the circus. I mean, very similar due to, Dick to the actions origin. of Killer Croc. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. In post-crisis, you know, he became a little street urchin who boosted the tires off the Batmobile. But at this point, it was still the circus performer. One thing that they actually have wrong here in the entry, they say his hair is black. Actually, no, it's Jason, not right. His hair was like orange, uh, not orange. Well, yeah, like, like, red it's like hair, a blonde, yeah. reddish blonde. Yeah. yeah. And so, and he, Batman would make him make his hair look black when they went out adventuring. So, <laughs> got that Johnny Thunder dust. Yeah, it's exactly what he got. <laughs> and he's like, by the way, they say he's in junior high, so he's like age twelve to fourteen at this point. He's is... got the killer leg muscles for a twelve-year-old. I, I tell you. But the interesting thing here is, this is just a few months before his origins revamp for post-crisis. It's technically eight months. However, there's these like four months in there where Batman Year One was published, so Robin wasn't even around. So. There's literally, between this entry you're reading right here and him being completely revamped, there's only a handful of comics where Jason Todd Robin ever appeared again. So this is almost literally the end of Jason Todd right here, pre-crisis Jason Todd, which is what Chris was talking about right, in right. his 
in his intro there about two different Jason Todds. So I think it's fascinating. Yeah, Interesting. Where they thing. turned him into complete ass. Uh, you can see it that way, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting in the powers and weapons. It says his reasoning and detective skills are weak, and are being concentrated upon. But he shows extreme promise. You would think that Batman would not hire anybody to be a junior partner whose his reasoning and detective skills are weak. It had to be pretty daunting, though, as a writer, to come up with a replacement for Robin. Oh yeah. And you know how you, how are you going to develop? How are you going to show him not be Nightwing right out of the gate? And that's probably one of the ways they decided. I guess so. You know, his detective skills are weak, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Next up, Robot Man. This is one, this is one of the great listings. This is reminded of the craziness of the DC universe. Alter, alter ego, Dr. Robert Crane, oh. alias Paul Dennis, now in the possession of the body of Charles Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> sure, perfectly reasonable. I totally understand it. This is I love this I love his history. I just love it. It's so confusing. I had to read it like five times. I was like, wait, wait. Who? Wait a minute. Who? What right. happened? So it's yeah. <laughs> the art is by Howard Bender and Steve uh, Mitchell. Uh, you know, we're seeing him use his powers. He's, he's a big. He's a human brain in a robot body, and he's bending some metal, and he's being all tough guy and stuff. But man, the the, the personal history is having to break it down to all the different bodies and stuff this guy used. This is crazy ass shit here. I really want to read these stories. I really do. <laughs> Well, I've got, I've got some things to say about it, too. Like, my stepson even said at first, he goes, you know, this guy looks like a villain. He does. He, he has really kind of does. a very, very kind of a nasty look on his face. He's got a nasty look on his face. He's bending a girder very violently. He's got red glowing eyes. He doesn't look like a good guy. Um, and to me, he doesn't look like Robot Man from All-Star Squadron, either. He looks like a robot, but he doesn't look like, you know, the, the Robot Man I remember from All-Star Squadron. Maybe it's just been so long since I've read him. I don't know. I guess so, because I, I didn't even remember the All-Star Squadron robot had been, like, a really smart scientist. I don't even remember that. Right. I mean, maybe <laughs> like maybe I just missed that, or they just didn't play it up in the book. I don't know. But uh, Bender drew one issue of All-Star Squadron, so I don't know why they gave this entry to him, other than maybe they just needed him to do it, or hadn't give Bender or Having to fight on. off all the top-tier artists that wanted to do Robot Man. They could have used Buckler. Or Ordway, or Buckler, I don't think did Buckler. What did Buckler didn't do much? Who's who for some reason? He did that Mister America did, one, but like not much for some reason. But he did some. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and you know, the, the the last thing, just this is a Roy Thomas. Everything's got to fit together kind of thing. You know, Grayson, uh, Charles Grayson. He's in the body of Charles Grayson. Well, they had to tie that to Dick Grayson, I of course. That. They had the I, last, I, I know. really do hate that stuff. It doesn't all have to be tied together. Guys. I'm not related to any of the other millions of Kellys out there. It's just the same last name. <laughs> not all so, tied into one universe. It's not a full-on miss, but this is not my favorite entry. But yes, it is. it does demonstrate quite well how the DC Universe is batshit crazy. Yeah, I mean, the Robin Man continued to fight crime, and uh, sometimes his brain had to be transferred to a new rod body after his previous one was damaged. Finally, he went into suspended animation on being trapped in a cave-in by gangster... Alan Lasky. Shortly thereafter, Grayson died, leaving instructions that his body be cryogenically pre- preserved so that Crane's brain could be transplanted into it. Decades later, Robotman revived and captured Lasky. Crane's brain was then transplanted into Grayson's body so that today Robotman is again fully human. 
Wouldn't Crane have to? Wouldn't he be the? Or wouldn't Grayson be really old at that point? I don't. It's, well, I mean, once you're getting into transplant brains, it's just, well. I'm sure this was like a backup strip in DC Comics Presents of whatever happened to. Uh, this I probably so. were. Yeah, I love it. I really want to read these stories because they're just nuts. It's, this is just nuts. I love it. Yeah. Next up, the other Robot Man, the one from the Doom Patrol. This is drawn. This confused the shit out of me too. By the drawn way, drawn by John Byrne, as were all the Doom Patrol listings. Right by John Byrne. Uh, we see him uh, taking a knee uh, there. He's getting instructions <laughs> from his football coach, I guess. Uh, we see him in we see him uh, in his uh, with his racing outfit on there, and then we see him using his powers, getting pressed into a giant metal press, which is really fun. And we see here a negative man and a list of girl looking horrified, and then fighting a giant robot. Uh, nice drawing. It's not that exciting because because it's just the the way it, the page was laid out. There's not a lot of space there for Robot Man to do a whole lot. But still, it's a nice drawing, and I think Burns' love of the Doom Patrol really comes through in these drawings. The the part where he's being stretched through that flattener that they're actually punching holes in yeah, his body is awesome. It's fantastic. <laughs> Looks like candy dots, you know, kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it did confuse the hell out of me that there's two robot men. You know, both being two guys who were transferred in the bodies of a robot. Just blew my mind. Why isn't the same guy? Anyway, a um, couple of different things. Like, why? What gave the chief the right to put his brain in a body? It, like, but he was, he was a famous race car driver, got in a car accident, and was dying. And then apparently the chief just got to put his brain in a body, in a robot body. I don't know what gave him the right to do that. It, it's not addressed in here at all. It's called the chief for a reason. Well, it, it's that. That's part of what made Grant Morrison's. Doom Patrol run and this robot man being really the sort of the the protagonist of the whole series was was this character who made it really good. Now, one thing I found interesting is you know Byrne is so focused on the classic Doom Patrol that he did not even show Robot Man's new body from mm-hmm. the new Doom Patrol in here. No, now, he doesn't. Perez had returned him to this body by this point, so this was the current body, but still doesn't even show the picture of the of the of the new Doom Patrol body. Right. <laughs> So another big another character who went to huge huge prominence in post crisis with Morrison's Doom Patrol. Yes, yeah, yeah. The well, Doom Patrol became like their whole big thing there for yeah. a while. Well, he he was the main guy. I mean, like everything else was like completely insane, but you always knew you could follow Cliff Steele's, you know, point of view. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next up, Rose and the Thorn. Um, if it's a completely terrible drawing, it must be Todd McFarlane. Uh, oh my god! That cape is just—I know he was into his whole thing with the cape, but to me, that's just this is just gibberish. Just looking at gibberish. The cape makes no sense. Her pose looks like she's like, "Oh, I drip my cape in something, and I'm dripping it off." All, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. To me, it's like McFarlane is completely emperor has no clothes. Like to me, this guy cannot draw. He just, but he can—he adds enough bells and whistles that it looks like he can. But I look at these drawings, I'm like, this is terrible. I mean, this is a terrible drawing, but, you know, people look like at this, it. Look at the serpent faces, though. They look good. Do they? I think so. All right. Whatever. I, I just, yeah. Uh, I totally agree about the cape. The cape, like, at first it's like, wow, that cape looks awesome. And then you just actually think about the size of it. You're like, oh, one half of it would totally drape across the floor everywhere. Yeah, it, well, it's just like the folds make no sense. It's just, it. Yeah, it's all just, yeah. Ugh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Would I? Whatever. Uh, I don't know. I just. I, li- I liked his early work on Spider-Man, when it was not yeah. not Sp- but Amazing Spider-Man. When Amazing someone else was inking him, I liked it. Okay. Yeah, I I, 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 I never liked his capes, and here he's like highlighting the cape. Yes. You know, too so, much. Too much. So yes. You know, that's just like all right. Yeah, great. I mean, she's this is a Golden Age character first appeared in Flash Comics number sixty nine. 
uh, you know, uh, she later went on to marry uh, Alan Scott. Dual identity, which is neat, because she was she was Thorn as a bad guy and Rose as a normal person. So basically, almost like you know, split personality. She didn't even know she was Thorn. And um, well, me, I could be wrong about that. I don't think she knew she was Thorn. Anyway, I I love you mentioned she, she mentioned she married Alan Scott, dude. Read this. They get married, and on their honeymoon night, you know, she goes. All this crap goes down, and he thinks she dies. So he gets her pregnant the first night of their honeymoon. Yeah, That's man. why they call him One Shot Allen. That's why um, they get twins out of one night. Wow, good man. He's not Jeez. afraid of all wood. <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next is the other Rose in the Thorn. Uh, this one who first appeared in Lois Lane, number 105, art by Dan Jurgens, our buddy Dan Jurgens, yep. and Dick Giordano. Um, yeah, the, the, this character, another one that became bigger, much bigger, post-crisis. Like, they, she, they ended up doing a lot of stuff with her. Um, she was a hero, more than a villain. She had the same split personality deal and whatever, but uh, I love her logo. Like, that looks like it comes out of, like, a um, romance comic. Oh, yeah. It has that look to it. <laughs> Uh, and we see her delivering some karate kicks to some bad guys, and there's Booster Gold in the background, yeah. which is funny because Booster Gold had not yet appeared in in right. He was he didn't yeah, get a th- this may be Booster's first appearance yeah, in Who's Who. He's actually. not in Who's Who yet. He didn't get a listing yeah. in Who's Who yet. So there he is, sort of showing but, up. Well, because his own series is only on issue eight, I think, at this point. Right, right. So he'd only been around for a little. Damn, this may be his very first appearance in the book. Uh, they bothered to point out that she bears no relation to the other Rose in the Thorn, which is, you know, just look over to the left and they will see that one. So. <laughs> uh, I like that her costume was intended for a supervillain and she, had, you know, stole it and uses it to, as a hero. She fights uh, the 100, which went on to become the 1000. Um, I mean, there's some real twisted stuff about her dad, like how she got her split personality. Her dad drowned. It was a cop and was killed and drowned. Uh, or maybe, either way, he got pulled out of the river, and she saw him getting pulled out of the river, and that made her nut job, which is kind of interesting. And then, at some point, she hurt her knee, so she wears a knee brace. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting which, touch. It's, it's, like, it's, it's clearly supposed to be a medical thing, but it makes a cool costume touch. It's almost like a hint of the 80s with the strap. Remember, 80s had lots of stra- or 90s, I should say, had lots of straps and pouches and pockets oh, and everything. Yeah. So it's almost a hint towards that. I think it works pretty well as a cool costume sort of thing. And, um, you know, Dan Jurgens with Digger Jono looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good together. Quite a team. Yeah, the layout is nice, too. The city background and the, the whole design is very, very nice. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. Next up, our next uh, split page, Rostov, a uh, character from Warlord. I don't really think he deserves half a page. I think the only reason I got one is because he had an action figure. <laughs> find it at Remco. Yeah, find it at Remco. And then the other half of the page is the Roving Ranger from All-Star Western number 58. The two characters you will find, you will not find, but have less to do with one another. Rostov is drawn <laughs> by Ron Randall, and he's basically a guy that turns into a werewolf, as you could probably tell just from the way he looks. He looks, you know, he has hair with a white streak, and the, you know, he looks like a guy that would turn into a werewolf. So that's his, that's his bit. He's also a master swordsman and a superb hand-to-hand combatant. I don't know why you bother when you get to turn into a werewolf. Well, you know, he came from our Earth and and went there with Mariah. Several issues ago, we covered Mariah. She was one of the ones that we talked about, came from our Earth and decided just not to wear any clothes anymore. Like, yep. we, I thought that was really strange. Anyway, he came with her. They were together. And 
eventually he sheds himself of this werewolf persona and is actually able to control a wolf spirit projected at people, which is kind of cool. But at the end of the day, incredibly forgettable character, except for the, as you said, there was an action figure. He got an action figure. So, uh, next up is Roving Ranger, uh, one of their Western characters. It's kind of funny. There's actually some dead space here where they could have put in a little more of the history, but they didn't bother. So there's just, someone clearly read one issue. Yeah, and it's funny because this origin, this history, is pretty much talks about another character. It spends all this time <laughs> talking about El Dorado as opposed yeah. to the Roving Ranger. So you know, like, okay, well, it really should be more about El Dorado. And it's funny that it doesn't say C El Dorado because he got a listing. Did he? Yeah, I didn't even remember yeah, that. Okay. Drawn by Gray Morrow. Or, or maybe, yeah, or no, maybe I'm thinking of El Diablo. I don't know. I could be confused. i got to go back. But anyway, it, it basically just talks about how he paired up with this guy El Dorado and he convinced the guy to give up his life as El Dorado. So you're like, okay, so his whole history is just about this other guy. Now, maybe this roving ranger guy only had a couple of appearances. I have no idea. Seven. Seven. Okay. Well, then you got to do a little more then. Okay. Seven appearances in the 1950s. He appeared in Crisis. He was apparently in like one or two issues of All Star Squadron, and was this really? appearance here in Cri- this appear issue of Crisis on Infinite Earth, his last appearance ever. Uh, this is it, name. right here. Say goodbye, Roving Ranger. It's a nice artwork, Mike DeCarlo. It is. Carl Kiesel. He looks cool. He's gonna shoot. You see him shooting a guy, and you see him with his horse, and it says Graham was an excellent marksman, and his horse riding skills were above average. Well, good to know. Good to know. In the in the old west, that's important. That is. Uh, he's got a sheriff's badge. It, it's actually, I really like the art. It's yeah, really nice logo. Done. Yeah, this is cool. I <laughs> said I would have liked to know a little more. I think maybe if there had been a roving ranger action figure from Remco, we would have gotten a full page. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't show up in the All Star Western reboot. Now it's possible he did, and someone hasn't updated um, the comic book database. But that's entirely possible. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, save the well, fare thee well, Roving Ranger. Next up is the Royal Flush Gang, drawn by Tom Mandrake. Uh, I always like the Royal Flush Gang, you know? Like, this, this, is, this is the kind of thing that I think Mike Barr has been taking from for Batman and the Outsiders, all these, you know, related characters. <laughs> but this makes sense. I mean, this is cool. This was the inspiration. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, they ended up, they've appeared in live action because they've been on the Arrow TV show. Uh, no shit, seriously? Yeah. I mean, they don't look like this, but, but they are. There is the Royal Flush Gang on the Arrow TV show. Oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. Now we're going to get like 17 more letters about what? Arrow. Yeah, I know. Well, whatever. Uh, they first appeared in a very early issue of Justice League number 49. They've come back several different times. I always dig them. There was a great three-parter with them, which featured heavily Martin Stein, actually, and Hector Hammond. JL, yep. JLA 203 through 205, which is a really good story, so... Uh, they were originally a creation of our sort of partners with, with uh, Amos Fortune. They split off on their own now. Um, there's a lot of history here because it has to go into all the individual members, and then it does mention their thing with Hector Hammond later on too because yep. uh, he forms like a new Royal Flush gang um, in, the, in those issues. So this is a – this was a – I like this team. I think it's a fun idea. I'd say based primarily on that three-parter because that's really good. Well, there's an earlier there's a there's a version of the team in between Amos Fortune and Hector Hammond, which had the Joker in it, which is kind of clever that he'd be involved with them. And uh, I didn't know this until I read the entry, but they were originally all clubs and later on switched it to Spades. I don't think. Who knew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I do love Hector Hammond's team. His king, his name was Joe Carney. He was king of the hobos. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Got to be now, king I, of something. I did wonder why Tom Mandrake drew this, and then I kind of put it all together. Because Tom Mandrake's out of a job at this point. Um, 
I say that jokingly, but because he was drawing, I want to say the Batman title. It may have been Detective, but either way. It was Batman. It was Batman. It was Batman. Okay. Well, in a month or two comes along Dave Mascelli. Yep. For the Batman Year One, and then Mandrake's off the book. Yep. So now, at this point, he did leave and go do Mandrake almost immediately after this. But I'm Wait, sorry, not Mandrake. Uh, Grimjack. Grimjack. Okay. It's his own name, Mandrake. But uh, so it's just interesting that you know maybe he had a little extra time this month. Somebody surely get him the Mandrake the Magician property. Have him do that. Mandrake on Mandrake. It sells itself. That'd be good. I'd rather see him draw Firestorm again. <laughs> okay. All right, and now we're ending the issue. And if you're going to go out, go out on a high note. Uh, Roy Raymond, TV detective, an incredibly dull visual, visually character. So who do you get? Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Praise be his name. Oh, a little slow on that one there, Shag. Sorry. Uh, well, I was, I was befuddled by you saying dull visually. I'm like, what? Well, no, what? I mean the character. The character now is dull visually. Yes, He's just yes. a guy in a suit with a pipe. So who do you give it to? You give it to somebody who can kick the ass of a drawing of a guy in a suit with a pipe. Which is Luis Garcia Lopez, because he loves guys with pipes. We've established that. Uh, I have tried to read some Roy Raymond adventures from Detective Comics. I can't get through them. They're so boring. They're so, Are they really? Yeah. They're just so, oh. yeah. I've tried really hard. They're, they, they've been reprinted a couple times in some DC Digests, and they're just, they're just such snooze fests. Um, now, later on... There's this whole thing about Roy uh, being uh, – what was the whole thing about? I read it. It says um, – then came – let's say – Oh, the, the weird, absolute weirdness with his brain and yeah, all that? Yeah, the whole thing with his brain. And you're like, wait, that had to be in a later story. There's no way that was in where a regular issue of Detective Comics. Well, here's what I put together because it talks about Roy disappeared for a number of years. Right. And a supervillain used his brain, his brilliant brain, to manipulate the world. Which That's caused, right. That, there it is, yeah. Made, who made people become suicide bombers, all yeah. these terrible, terrible <laughs> things. I, and Superman saved him. So what I'm putting together from this is all of that was probably like he disappeared and they decided to bring him back. Whatever happened issue. to Roy Raymond TV. It, well, in DC Comics Presents, because it would make sense if you got JLGL right. uh, drawing it. Praise be his name. Praise and we should know the acronym for that too, by the way. Anyway, and Superman's involved. I mean, it all kind of fits together. This is probably a DC Comics Presents issue probably. that did all this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, yeah. interesting character, because if you read his history, like, his show started off as sort of a Ripley's Believe It or Not. Right. Impossible but true. Yeah. Which turned, which he eventually sort of turned around and became more of a skeptic rather than, you know, showing you amazing things. He became more of a skeptic. And uh, it's neat stuff. Now, Dan Jurgens did try and go a bit of a different direction recently in the New 52 where he said that Roy Raymond was actually Ronnie Raymond from Firestorm's uncle because Ronnie's middle name is actually Roy, right. which is right. great. I love it. Now, it works in the New 52. It does not work in the pre-crisis universe, though, because Ronnie Raymond's real last name is not Raymond. But anyway. Okay. So it's a, it's a wonderful entry. The pipe sells it. The pipe with Superman at the end in the serpent. He's flying, on the yeah. Bottom. Superman is flying him across, and he's still got the pipe. That's a, that's like a Mac Daddy move, you know. <laughs> and the other thing about Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Praise be his name. Uh, he draws some of the most beautiful women in comics, but without really over-sexualizing them. Uh, there's a, mm-hmm. we see his assistant here with him, Karen Colby standing next to where Roy is, he's picking up a piece of evidence, which is a gun. And she's in a very, very sexy woman, but she's not, she's not, like, they didn't put her in, like, a slut outfit. She's dressed like she would normally be dressed for work. But nevertheless, she looks very dynamic, because Jose just draws really gorgeous women. 
You know, yep. it's great. Absolutely true. Like I said, I, I think this is the perfect use of this guy of, of getting Jose to do this. Cause you're like, we got to give this guy is so boring visually. We got to give him to somebody with some dynamic skills. And that of course is JLGO. So perfect way to go. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you mentioned women cause there's very few women in this issue actually. Like I, I counted up there. I counted only five like female entries in the book. Yeah, so, Rose and you know, Thorn. There's the two Rose and Thorns. That's two. <laughs> uh, Red Tornado. Red Tornado. Red Tornado. Queen Raven. Bee. Raven. Ra- and Raven. And that's it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. So, oh, well. anyway. So, you get the last page. Right. You know, my, I love the ads page, you know. And uh, you, get, you get, honestly, six great covers. All-Star Squadron number 60 with the whole team coming out at you. Uh, actually, it's the JSA coming at you. You get Legion of Superheroes where, finally, Sensor Girl revealed. I think they had that cover in a previous Who's Who, by the way. Anyway, Batman 398. So we're literally, what, two issues off from Batman Year One? It's got uh, two face. Six. Six issues. Really? That far? Okay. It was 404 to 408 is your one. I always thought it was 401. Okay. You got two face coming at Batman, and uh, Catwoman's walking away saying, Sorry, sport. This time you're on your own. It's a great cover. Great Paris Cullens cover of Blue Beetle fighting the Mad Men. You got Starfire losing her shit on New Teen Titans. Sorry for the language. And Booster Gold fighting the Legion. Love, love, love all of them. And in the mentions, you get Quicksilver. We'll be seen again in All-Star Squadron. Uh, There's a DC Challenge shout-out. Yay! And they talk about Ray Shiraz. Is it Ray Shiraz? Ray Ray Shagul is always... I always heard that was the correct way to pronounce it. Well, I mean, Batman animated series, I'm sure, did it, and it's probably the authoritative way. But in the movie, they say Roz, but I've always heard it was Okay. Well, they they call out straight up. They say he's the mastermind behind behind Batman 400, which is still two months away, and will be in the Batman graphic novel, which is Son of the Demon. So pretty cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, my gosh. That was almost two hours by itself. As, As it always is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's something I want to address because we've actually taken a little bit of ribbing from different folks about the lengths of who's who. And that's fine. I don't mind the ribbing. But I think it's fair to say that we made a conscious decision a long time ago that who's who needs whatever space it needs to breathe. Like, we try not to pigeonhole it into a certain time length. Like, we Fire and Water, we've been actively trying to make the show shorter because it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger because one of us really likes to run their mouth. Not saying who. But, um,. Anyway, I, I think that this show, we just we let it flow as it naturally needs to be. And we want to get to feedback, which is what we're about to do right now. Right. So just, you know, I don't mind the ribbing. Please, by all means, keep it up. Just know that we are aware of it, and it's going to stay this way. So Yes. Uh, one of the things we're going to mention, too, is on, on an episode of, um, of, a, of a nuclear sub, uh, Corey Hodgins podcast, uh, Maybe I'll Be Back. He interviewed Andy Capellish, another uh, nuclear sub. And Andy Capellish has mentioned that he, a couple of months ago, stopped listening to the Who's Who Show because he's <laughs> going to wait until it's all over and listen to it in one giant chunk. So he's waiting for the trade, essentially, of Who's Who. And I have to tell Andy, Andy, we're not going to collect this. We're not going to put this out as one giant 1,000-hour-long episode. So I don't know what you're waiting for, dude. You're just, you just listen to them as they come out. I don't understand the point of waiting till the end. Well, the sad part is he's not going to hear you say that until 2017. Somebody's gonna, well, somebody should tell him. I mean, somebody, anybody out there, Corey, you hear this, tell him. We're not collecting it. We're not putting it out <laughs> on one giant 20-gig file. That's not the way it's going to work. So for God's sake. Anyway, let's do the feedback, the who's who's, how's and why's. 
All right. Well, folks, if you're on the social medias, please be sure to use the hashtag pound FW podcast. Let's get the word out there about the show. Uh, I really need you to use it because uh, unbeknownst to Rob and I, some, somebody has got a podcast out there whose initials are FW podcast. It's nothing to do with comics whatsoever. But they actually have, I think, fwpodcast.com, and I'm like, they better they better not come anywhere near our hashtag. I'm just saying. So I need you people out there using it to, so we're staking our claim on it because we've had it for a few years now. Let's keep it going. Yeah, you don't want to upset a bunch of nerds. I, <laughs> you don't. Trust me. Uh, most of most of y'all are probably computer programmers. We'll crush them. Anyway, um, the thing I have to say that amazed me the most across the social medias was, you know, we post this on different sites and different, you know, uh, social medias, whatever. But over on Google+, Plus, where we teased the crap out of, the, uh, of Google+, Plus, it got 62 likes on Google+, Plus. the last entry about who's who. 62 likes. That is insane. I will mention, considering the ribbing I take, that I'm never on Google+, Plus, I actually went back to Google+, Plus to plug the Dan Jurgens episode of Fire and Water. And nobody saw it because nobody follows you there anymore. Right. right. Well, <laughs> hey, I went back there. I kept getting told to go back there, and I went back there. All right. Uh, first things first. Russell, little Russell Burbage from Superior City, uh, went on Facebook and contacted Steve Lytle on our behalf last issue after last issue because I was asking about Polar Boys boots. I thought they actually looked like they were made out of ice. And Steve Lytle said, "Nope. Polar Boys boots are silver and white. They're insulated just like his collar and gloves. They are not made of ice. His hair isn't made of ice either, despite how some artists choose to draw him. I think some people have watched too many Rankin and Bass cartoons. Breck is not Jack Frost." What? That's impossible. You can't watch too many rank and bass cartoons. Siskoid, <laughs> uh, I mentioned on the last episode uh, that my power, um, sorry, Plastic Man's neck actually is white. There's a segment of his neck that's white that neither one of us had noticed for 30 years, yep. and now we can't unsee it. And Siskoid says on his cover, the color is just fine. And he says it's a Canadian version. So apparently those wild Canucks got it right. So, folks, if you want your perfect. Uh, cover and you want it accurately done, pick up the Canadian copy. <laughs> Socialized medicine and the correctly colored issue of Who's Who. It's, it's like a paradise up there. I tell you. Uh, he mentions Phantom Girl. I'm on Rob's side on this, especially today, as yes, and yes, I would have loved, would still love to see that version of the Legion, meaning my version of by the Los Bros Hernandez. Regardless of what they say in the personal data, it's refreshing to see a woman with normal proportions. Besides, the Sir print is beautiful. Definitely one I can't, I came to love later in life. There is a I, I went on a rant about Phantom Girl, yes, the artist, and there's a lot of back and forth about that in this issue yep. uh, in, the, in the feedback. So I think it's fair to hit as much of it as we can without beating the horse too much. Uh, he talks about Phantom Zone. He says, without this image, I would have never realized the burn Superman wears the same hood when he executes the pocket universe Phantom Zone villains. That's right. It, at least one on the cover. Something that sends him uh, off the deep end, fractures his psyche, and turns him into Gangbuster and exiles him into space where he returned with the Eradicator. All the pieces matter. I didn't realize the hood was the same. I had no idea. I mean, Very you know, those, those hoods look the same, though. I never really thought it was any meant to be a connection because Executioner's hoods just kind of look like Executioner hoods. Yeah, but Siskoid studies his stuff. In fact... He, uh, over on his blog, Siskoid's Blog of Geekery, which is siskoid.blogspot.ca, because it's Canadian, uh, he has posted a couple of who's, uh, what's he call them? Who is? Who's that? Who's, it? who's, that? who's that? That's right. Uh, and he's got some on the Phantom Zone from last episode. So go over and check out his website. Absolutely, folks. Yep. Uh, I got an email from Sphinx Magoo regarding, regarding, 
regarding Phantom Girl, man, I gotta agree with Rob and disagree with you, Shag, on Jaime Hernandez's Phantom Girl pick. Sure, the image doesn't seem to match the stats, but it was neat to see a superheroine with realistic proportions. There we are again. She was still gorgeous. I mean, look at that close-up in the serpent, but not done in pinup style. For that, you've got Dave Stevens' Phantom Lady. Another person who doesn't agree with me. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, right. um, I agree with the, the real proportions. I'm, I agree. That's neat that they did a girl in real proportions. They just picked the wrong girl. So uh, He said, in regard to Phantom Zone, expect an update from Charlie Niemeyer on that depowered Kryptonian. Because I was joking how there's a depowered Kryptonian working at the Daily Planet. Uh, says he covered one story recently on Superman in the Bronze Age. So check out Charlie's podcast. Says uh, one quick note while listening to you guys discuss the Power Girl entry, Shag, you must have really been hitting the Diet Mountain Dew. I had to keep checking my iPhone to make sure I hadn't sped up my podcast by accident. I thought I was listening at 1.5 speed or faster. Clearly, you were the one with the speed force. Um, I will say that there have been times when I'm listening back to the show because you know I like to hear the sound of my own voice that I do question if Rob has sped up my voice to 1.5. I'm like, I didn't talk that fast. I think Rob just wants to get through my bits so he can get to his parts. So that's entirely really, possible. I think this was really going on. So, and he says regarding the Predator, he seems tailor made for the new Fifty Two. So where is he, um, buddy? You're not kidding. He does look like he's tailor made for the new Fifty Two. Yeah. So, mm. uh, Ange, our good buddy Ange, said thanks for the podcast. I've been looking forward to this issue being reviewed since the beginning of the hottest Legionnaire discussion. It's important for me again to say that I think the hot Legionnaire contest covers the career of the character, not just the who's who image. But for non-Legion fans, who's who might be the only place that people would see these characters a true, as a true pinup. Phantom Girl, for example, I completely agree with Shag that this is a rough picture of Tina. I like Los Brothers uh, Hernandez, but this picture just doesn't work. And for someone like Shag who thinks Phantom Girl is the hottest Legionnaire, this picture has to be a letdown. I've been warning Shag about this page in the comment section of Who's Who Podcast forever. And I will bask in a bit of Lightning Lass's page is oodles better than this one. Alia is the true hottest legionnaire. Power Girl, I love this page as well. I find Joe Staten's work often too cartoony, but this works here. And I think it does invoke the Wallywood proportion seen in when Power Girl first appeared. Her origin is odd. The delayed passage from Krypton to Earth so she appears well after Superman, but that element has been co-opted by Supergirl in recent years, since the Loeb-Turner reboot. And then I was very complimentary of the character Psy. Not, I wasn't complimentary of the art, but of the story that was there. I thought it was very tragic, and he said, I'm so thrilled the Shag actually t talked semi-glowingly about a Supergirl villain. I think it's the first one. She recently was brought back to the New 52 by Supergirl scribe Sterling Gates in Forever Evil Argus. Uh, and he said he's taking a look at her comic career. You can check that out over on comicboxcommentary.blogspot.com. And I gotta agree, the, the Forever Evil Argus series has been really good, and uh, it was great to see Sterling Gates bring back uh, an older character. Very cool. Anthony Durso, The Toy Room, who, by the way, just signed up for Instagram a couple hours ago, in case anyone's wondering. Um, this is the cover. Perez is always a genius when it comes to the covers with that diverse cast. You can see the love and effort he puts into these characters with all of their individual nuances. He really is the master at, that, at the covers. I mean, no doubt about it. Phantom Girl, yes, this art does, n does not do Phantom Girl justice. But beware, spoiler, Saturn Girl, my vote for Hottest Legionnaire, fares even worse in her Who's Who entry. Now I'm dreading that. I love I, Saturn Girls, also another hottie, so I'm like, oh no. Phantom Lady, hands down, one of the best entries in the book, if not the series. Before DC obtained the rights to the quality comics characters, Phantom Lady was the epitome of, quote, headlight comics. That's true. 
I had to look up Headlight Comics. I mean, you can kind of guess what that means, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it is actually a term from Werther's book. Yep. Where, and he used Phantom Lady as the example. It's women who you can see what's going on in yep. the cold afternoon. So. Yep. Yep. She was always getting tied up. Yep. Uh, regarding Phantom Stranger, one of my favorite obscure DC characters. I always love when he mysteriously showed up in the issues of Justice League of Brave and the Bold. I don't really care for the modern version that joins Mystic Teams, Trenchcoat Brigade, Shadow Pack, etc., and is always there to help out in various crises or crossovers. He should operate on the fringe, in my opinion, and not be right in the mix. I've always liked how he kind of turned down regular JLA membership, but then was willing to invoke it when it suited him. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like what he says here about Psycho Pirate. He says, I wonder if he still remembers the pre-crisis universe. Maybe he could get, he could be used to ho- reboot the horrible New 52-verse. <laughs> wow. Um, regarding Pursuer, can we get through one issue, one issue without a new God's entry? Yes, we can. <laughs> this one. Oh. Yes. Oh, my gosh. There's no, new, there's no new gods in this issue. So there you go, Anthony. Well, it issued an episode or two ago. Siskoid actually counted up all of the new gods' entry appearances and uh, Omega Men and stuff like that. And Anthony wrote, "I had commented. That he, apparently, he started us on this path. He said, imagine how much. Apparently, he had written. Imagine how much shorter the series would have been if you'd removed New Gods, Omega Men, and Atari Force. Then Diablo Frank took it one step further by suggesting someone crunch the numbers, and Siskoid ultimately did it. So, well, ju- great teamwork, guys. Great teamwork. Absolutely. Uh, we got an uh, email from Earth to Chris, of course." Again, regarding Phantom Girl. Sorry, Shag, not getting the hate. Phantom Girl looks like a very attractive girl next door type. Sort of a superhero Phoebe Cates, which is how I took her anyway. She looks nothing like Phoebe Cates' proportions. Whatsoever. Anyway. I'm with you, Chris. Powwow Smith. In his appearance on the Justice League Unlimited, the character considered Powwow to be a racial nickname, racist nickname. Holy crap, I completely forgot that Powwow Smith was in Justice League Unlimited. I totally don't forgot that. At that. All. Jeez, I must have missed Oh, there's that this one. amazing two-parter that has to do with time travel and Kronos and I've stuff like that. I've seen all those episodes. I don't remember that one. I, mean, I must have just missed it. I don't have any memory of it. Well, they're in the old West. It's got Jonah Hex. It's got Pow Wow. It's got um. Right. It's got Batlash. I gotta go find that then. I watched it recently. Let's wrap this up. I'm gonna go find it. Okay, Professor Milo. Believe it or not, he made it onto several episodes of Batman the Animated Series, voiced by Treat Williams. Who the hell knew that? I didn't know that. And he does mention, I had made a reference to say Batman, Starman of 1957 was the inspiration for the Starman of 1951 in Robinson's run. Now, that just so you know, J. J., J., J. David Weeder and I went back and forth. That's not to say Batman is Starman in Robinson's Batman, I mean, in Robinson's Starman comic. It's just saying that the fact that there was a Starman in 1957 did inspire Robinson to create a Starman of 1951. So. All right. Uh we got an email from Alexander and Rock. Thanks for uh, th- throwing in my support for Jaime Hernandez's Phantom Girl. Great drawing. I would have totally read a Legion book or any superhero, superhero book by him. Ugh. Professor Alan Middleton. I like the Hernandez Phantom Girl for what it is, a portrait of a realistic woman. But that's not what superhero art is about anyway. Dream Girl's hotter. Here <laughs> from Martin Gray. Uh, he says, well, I like uh, Jaime Hernandez's Fanny, I guess that's Fanny Girl, that really isn't Tina. You're right. It's a Kirby gal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Told you. Told you. Uh, we heard from Harlan Freilicker. I think I got it wrong yeah. again. No, you got, you got it. Okay. He said, yesterday my four-year-old son started asking me to name supervillains who are girls. I started to run out rather quickly. It had been a long day. And then, thanks to this episode, I was able to remember to add plastique and phobia. I felt remiss when I had to explain to him who Firestorm is. I need to pay more attention to the boys' education. Um, Harlan, go ahead and turn off the podcast now. 
and go spend some quality time with your son. Obviously, you're a negligent parent, and teach him who Firestorm is, for God's sakes. I'm, I, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. I'm, I'm too upset. Mm. Phantom Lady, nobody ever mentioned that black light is the name nickname for UV lights, like they used to make white T-shirts glow in laser tech arenas and lame dance clubs. And you have to wonder, did she ever just refuse to go to fight Axis because it was just too damn cold out there for a non-powered hero to wear that costume? Shag, I believe that's your cue to make a nipple joke. <laughs> you just did for me. <laughs> the Predator. Long before the movies, DC had characters named Predator, The Terminator, and Roger Rabbit. They failed to trademark any of these names and missed out on a major royalties. They even had to start referring to Terminator as Deathstroke the Terminator and change Captain Carrot's secret identity to Rodney Rabbit, explaining it was his middle name by which he suddenly wanted to be known. And yeah, Predator is the male aspect of Carol Ferris' twist is so lame I want to work the name Northwind into the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, he says, uh, regarding Prince Rahman, how did anybody think this name would work for a character? You get to choose between a noodle joke and merely noting its lameness. There is no pitch that I can imagine using to sell this name. Imagine seeing a comic book on the spinner rack with Inside, another exciting adventure of Prince Rahman on the cover. Would you plunk down your 12 cents? No, I wouldn't plunk down 12 cents today for that comic. <laughs> um... Tim Wallace goes on, uh, and this, he wrote us a note saying, uh, this is one of the few issues I still haven't managed to replace since my flood last year. That said, there are some great entries in here, and between the descriptive banter you guys provide and the Tumblr page, it's almost like I didn't lose it at all. That's so, I, That's I really nice. appreciate that, Tim. Thank you so much. That's what we're shooting for. Shag, you mentioned Del Barris. Uh, I'm familiar with him as a Paris Collins inker on Blue Beetle. The first six issues of the series were inked by Bruce Patterson, but then Del took over, uh, took took over it gave the book a much different look it's always interesting to see interesting to me to see how different anchors can change the look of a penciler's work you know that's sort of vague statements i wonder which way he liked better because he does a blue devil or a blue beetle blog so just curious whether he preferred bruce patterson on the book or del barris <laughs> anyway he chimes in and says the hottest legionnaire is shadow lass interesting we heard from five ball which i don't think we've ever heard from before no he's new he wrote, isn't Pulsar Stargrave that wimpy butler from the horrible Larflees comic that's currently running? Um, yes, he is, actually. I had to look it up. You're absolutely right. We heard from Jeff R., who said, a version of Prez also showed up in Firestorm as simply Rickard from an alternate timeline where he took up the career other than politics. It had a little Dr. Manhattan DNA as well, bridging, bridged by both characters' connection with watches. What the hell? What is this? Um, Jeff, are you talking about the, the oh gosh, the Flying Dutchman? I don't know what you're talking about, man. You need to write me and let me know what the hell you're talking about, because I'm dying to know. Anyway, J Jeff, by the way, is he's the one who writes in every month and gives us our egre egregious omissions. Oh, so, okay. Yep. He wrote it. He did mention the Professor Zoom thing that you mentioned. But he goes on to say the missing, the, the egregious omission this time was the purple pile driver, one of the most ridiculously overmatched villains to ever face Superman. This was a true paragon of persistence, never considering relocating to a city with superheroes more closely matched to his power level. <laughs> While utterly ridiculous, pathetic, his appearance in an issue of Superman or action always heralded a great story. This is because this was the day when editori editorial mandated a certain number of fight scenes in each issue. And when those fights were with the purple pile driver, you knew they were truly a obligatory and something far more interesting was happening in the other pages so it gets an honorable mention it should have been in who's who heard from charles Bar uh, barnard he says i just listened to the latest edition of who's who podcast i was a little surprised you didn't talk about the lack of surprint on the entry for 
Phantom Lady. The entry did not have the traditional close-up of her face or any other scenes. I thought it was kind of interesting. I thought we mentioned that. We, um, we talk about it, but we don't talk about that it's not a traditional serpent. Gotcha. So, okay. Fair point. Fair point. It is a great piece, though. I love it. Heard from John Heaton. He said, I'd say the problem with Phantom Girl entry is that her vital statistics are unrealistic and arguably unhealthy. Not to mention at odds with how the character was portrayed in the Legion of Superheroes series. Her Nina's drawing is more in line with how she looked in the comics during the era in which Who's Who was published, at least. I totally don't agree, John. But, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yours just happens to be wrong. Uh, Michael Bailey. He, Michael Bailey is, was going through a hard time recently. And he did an epic re-listen of the entire Who's Who podcast. And, he, and this, this sort of sums up why. He says, Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, my monthly reaffirmation that I am a DC kid at heart. So um, he just finished up his re-listen, and he's given us some feedback. Uh, I like this. He said, oh, you go ahead. Read that first one. He says, Rob has this great little laugh that sounds like Yoda. Now, when he first said that, I was like, what the hell is he talking about? And then we were recording at Fire and Water, and I heard myself do like a, <laughs> and I'm just like, son of a bitch. It's <laughs> great. Uh, it says, Shag is very sure of himself when he ends up being wrong. This is not a knock, just a fun observation for someone who's known for the man, man for many years. Uh, yeah, I probably am very sure of myself when I'm wrong. I don't, it's fun. <laughs> Uh, this is directed, I think, at Frank, mostly. Who's Who may not be as detailed as the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, but that doesn't make Ohatmu better. Who's Who seems designed for fans, while Ohatmu was, if memory serves, originally supposed to be an in-house thing, so that editors had access to facts and figures about their characters. While the information is more dense and involved, I prefer to get more broad strokes and mostly great art rather than the stock poses of Ohatmu. So Frank can complain endlessly about how much he thinks Ohatmu is objectively better. I will stick with Who's Who. Uh, let's see. He talks about how uh, I poke phone at him, fun at him having a Zune, and he says he hasn't had a Zune for six years. Um, might get over it. Um, but he does end this by saying uh, the Zonophone is damn silly, so I think from now on I'm going to have to refer to Mike's rather than using a Zune. He uses a Zonophone. Zonophone. Which I did earlier in this episode, by the way. I'm surprised so. you can hear him podcasting with that executioner's hood on that he uses. <laughs> uh, we got another email from Little Russell Burbage from Superior City regarding Phantom Girl. I agree with both Rob and Shag. I like this drawing of an adorably cute girl, but she ain't Tina Wazo. Enough said. I think that sums up the argument perfectly for me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, regard- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. This is Poison Ivy. She was a brunette until the Batman cartoon, and then she was suddenly a redhead. Check out her debut in Detective Comics and her JLA and Suicide Squad appearances if you don't believe me. No, she's better as a redhead. Every woman is, so I'm not going to argue that. (laughs) Uh, Professor Milo, in case you didn't figure it out, it's this loser that Poison Ivy has surrounded on the back cover. (laughs) That issue with the werewolf was the last Neil Adams illustrated issue with Batman. It was still pretty bad. Oh, wow. That's a shame. He says, sigh. Question. How uninteresting was Carmen Infantino's art by this point? Answer. He even managed to make a basically naked woman dull-looking. I was not shocked to not hear Shag say this woman was hot, because really the illustration is just embarrassing. Moving on. Um, He said he has to argue against the idea that the Pursuer was a last-minute addition add-on. A quick look at the next issue finds that the first entry is the Puzzler, the last P character. If the Pursuer wasn't around, wouldn't it make more sense to have the P character end here? Uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I still say that Pursuer, they forgot to do him several months before that, I think. They, they should have put Prez in there still. 
Uh, email from David M. Gutierrez. Guys, another great show. I give it four out of five Phantom Ladies. <laughs> I love that. That's a great... That's a great scale. And he says if we start to stink, he's going to award us a Northwind. But yeah. um, he says, I was curious, have you ever received one letter, tweet, etc. from a fan of Omega Men? I've never in all my years met anyone who was into that series, even Sean McManus. The closest I would say we've ever had is Rob saying he collected it and liked it at one point. I did. It was good. It was a good book. It was. But I don't think... It- I don't think anyone has ever come to their defense no, no, that's written in right. this show. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, he also asked, were you ever into any of the cosmic DC characters? The Blasters, Space Cabby, that multi-alien guy, or Jem, the truly not outrageous son of Saturn? As I mentioned <laughs> earlier, I liked Adam Strange, and I loved Ultra the Multi-Alien. And that is because there was that show that, that we posted the um, credits to, the, the uh, video comics show of the kids yeah. with the spinner rack. One of the series that they did on the show was Ultra the Multi-Alien. And that was the first time uh-huh. I ever saw that character, and I loved him. So I'm a, I am am a fan of that character, and I like – so I dig him. So, so yeah, I, there are some cosmic characters that I do like. I've never read anything with Ultra, but I will say there is an amazing who's who entry of Ultra in yeah, the future. Yeah, it's good stuff. I don't remember if it's in the first volume or It's update. the first one. No, it's the first one. Is it? Yeah, okay. it's good stuff. It's like John – Schneider, maybe, or somebody? It's just, whoever it is, it's, wow, knocks it out of the park. Uh, we heard from Joe X, and uh, he says, Veach, meaning Rick Veach, also did the DC Comics Presents number 85 story with Swamp Thing, so he has a little Superman experience. He also reteamed with Alan Moore on Supreme. Interesting. Uh, he talks about Marv Wolfman. We were talking about Marv Wolfman wanting to be an artist. He says he did want to break in as an artist, and he's seen some of his fanzine-era Nova pages. It's a good thing he settled for writing. Uh, Del Barris also drew Roy Thomas's Captain Thunder and Blue Bolt for Heroic. He's got a lot of interesting information, Joe X. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mark Shaw Manhunter series was launched with Doug Rice. That's the name of the guy. I couldn't remember. Doug Rice. Okay, yeah. Oh, Doug Rice. It was so good. Uh, I guess Doug Rice has gone on to do Dynamo Joe, so good for him. And he said, Marv Wolfman created the Scions to try and make them the DC version of the Kree as part of his Marvelization of the DC Universe. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. We heard from our buddy Philemon. Now, we traditionally say that Philemon always shares interesting viewpoints that are 100% wrong or 100% opposite of ours. So he starts off by saying, so apparently I'm wrong about everything, but when it comes time for Shag to choose his in-stock trades choice, he picks my recommendation of the strange deaths of Batman. Funny that. Uh, as my friend Rob has taught me, an expression, even a squirrel, a blind squirrel finds a nut. Uh, he goes on to say, um, there were many worthy contenders, but Phobia is hands down my favorite piece of art in the issue. The serpent is gorgeous, although the dual colors could have been what draws my attention to it, and the logo, although small, is super creepy and pitch perfect. You know, I don't know that Phobia was my favorite entry in the last issue, but it was particularly good. So that's good. Uh, Philemon goes on to say or he was, Well he was humming along just serious? fine okay. Until he gets to Plastic man is a poor man's elongated man And always will be That is the most offensive thing I've ever heard In the feedback from either podcast And I'm including everything that Frank has ever said So <laughs> um, I This is a tough one for me Because I'm not a huge Plastic Man fan I am a huge elongated man fan though I don't know that I can agree with the statement, though. I wouldn't say Plastic Man's a poor long. I mean, obviously, Plastic Man was first, but I wouldn't say Plastic Man's a poor elongated first man. First, by I 20 would, years, first of all. I would say I probably more than 20 years. Well, I guess it is, yeah. I would say I prefer elongated man, though. 
Uh, he said, I knew you guys couldn't get through one episode without taking a Forever People jab. Which brings us to the big news of the month. Are you as excited as I am about a new Forever People comic coming in June? Face it, guys, you're on the wrong side of history on this one. This is the first good thing DC has done since DiDio and Giffen did OMAC. Um, you really tied that up with a bow for us right there, uh, ending it with the OMAC comment there. Finally, I don't even have to touch that, brother. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Uh, oh, Philemon goes on to say, also, am I the only one who, after hearing the last sound clip, thinks Plastic Man sounds like Rob? Maybe that explains the connection. <sighs> so Rob goes on to say, so far, nuclear subs have compared me to Kyle, Ga- Kyle Gas. Is that right? Yeah, Kyle Gas. Yeah. Kyle Gas, Plastic Man, and now Yoda. I'm guessing that's progress. And Harlan Freilicker came back and said, oddly, we haven't compared you to FDR. <laughs> Oh, that shit is funny. Oh, my God. I laughed so hard at that. Um, Heard from our buddy Tom Zoller from Loving Capes, uh, who says, uh, I have seen a Phantom Girl cosplaying today, and he posted a picture at one of the conventions that. Because somewhere, a Firestorm fan felt a disturbance in the comics force. (laughs) Thank you for that, Thomas. He also sent some pictures from the uh, show of some cool T-shirts with, like, lots of cool characters. Awesome. Love it. Uh, Kyle Benning, I have to agree with Shag on Phantom Girl. While the art is gorgeous, I definitely think Hernandez's art would have been perfect for Beautiful Dreamer and Big Barda. Gorgeous art, but not true to Phantom Girl's petite size. Hugo Strange has a fairly significant role in the awesome Young Justice cartoon as the warden head psychiatrist to Belle Reeve. He totally does. I'm watching Young Justice with my kids now on Netflix, which you should check out, by the way. Season one's out there. And Hugo Strange, like, my stepson, I told you earlier, he's, he's becoming a Sith. He gets so excited when Hugo Strange shows up on screen, because the Batman video games. He's, he, like, literally shushes everyone in the room when Hugo Strange is on the screen. Like, you know. um, Professor Ivo, another character Arrow has brought in and made a prominent th- threat. I've really dug what they've done with him, and they do a great job of making you hate him. Honestly, I just put them in there to make the Arrow fans happy. Whatever. Um, thanks, Carl. <laughs> Heard from Ange. Ange wrote us uh, in advance of this issue. He said, next issue is the R issue, includes Reverse Flash. Here is a pic of that page, meaning the Reverse Plaza entry from Who's Who. I said Reverse Plaza. Sorry, Reverse Flash. He says, here's a pic of that page signed by Infantino and Anderson. That was cool. Signed at different cons up in here in Boston. Uh, He actually removed the page. They had framed it uh, so he could get a good scan of it. And he says, why you might ask Reverse Flash? Because he's one of my favorite DC villains. Very cool. That's great, it's, yeah. yeah, it's really. We'll put that up in the Tumblr. Martin Stein just said, "I would just want to chime in and say that I could oh, not God. care." Please l- don't read this whole email. What? Please don't read the rest of it. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to. Anyways, I could not care less uh, about who the hottest Legionnaire debate is because, in my estimation, of the Dave Stevens Phantom Lady has them all beaten hands down. We'll just stop there. Just know he might just possibly be the person we we're referring to earlier. Well, anyway. it's got all the words you need to know what he's going to say. Beat hands down. You can yeah. figure out the rest. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Robert. Anyway, uh, Benton Gray said, Shag, your selection of a team of your favorite characters that you have mentioned a few episodes back is almost precisely the makeup of a DC version of the Defenders I created for a few missions in my DC mod. He's talking about role-playing stuff, I think. Uh, it includes Firestorm, Blue Devil, Dr. Fate, Aquaman, among others. It strikes me as a fun bit of happenstance. That's awesome, man. I just realized, reading Detective Comics from the 70s, and imagine my surprise and pleasure when I began to recognize all the various backup characters from this very podcast. I think I have a better reaction to the likes of Misto after having heard him discussed here. I find these characters charming now. 
this show, doing this, Rob, has really expanded my horizons for niche characters in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad we've done it. Mm-hmm. So, this is great. Heard from uh, Luke Giaconetti. He wrote in, I- I've never pronounced si- um, Simon as Simon, instead as Simon. May have been that with the mon suffix, I automatically default to the Digimon style name. <laughs> or maybe that I have a son named Simon and don't want to associate him with that loser. Of course, he is best known to me as the guy who hated being called Brainiac in Tiny Titans. <laughs> uh, he talks about um, there's some discussion about police drama and Martian Manhunter and Hawkman and stuff. So many years ago, Diablo Frank and I discussed the pr- police procedural analogs regarding our pet characters. Our conclusion was that Martian Manhunter was akin to Joe Friday. Straightforward, no nonsense, only concerned with the facts. And Hawkman was Rick Hunter. Smash first, ask questions later, but not as lethal as Henry Callahan. And uh, Hawkgirl was Dee Dee McCall, the sassy one who works with the tough guy. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, we heard from Earth 3 Crank. I assume that's Earth 2 Chris, uh, based on his comments. I'm pretty sure it is. I think so. Anyway, uh, we talked about, uh, on the previous feedback, how Peacemaker was originally supposed to appear in a comic called Blockbuster Weekly, which was going to feature an anthology of Charlton characters. Anyway, he kind of went on to finish up who was going to be in this Blockbuster series. Blue Beetle was going to be by Steve Englehart, Dave Ross, and Alex Nino. Judo Master by Frank McLaughlin. That makes sense. Uh, Peter Kane and Thunderbolt by Pete Morrissey. Captain Adam, which was going to be Paul Kupperberg and Paul Chadwick, who's um, the question was going to be Mike W. Barr, Stan Woke, and uh, Rick Mager. And Sarge Steele was going to be Andy Helfer, Tre- Trevor Von Eden, and Dick Giordano. That would have been really yeah, I would interesting have read that. to read. I would have read yeah. the hell out of that. Jeez. Yeah, uh, we got an email from Zeb Oswald. He mentions that he got a bunch of issues of Who's Who all together as back issues in a grocery store long after they were published at like a 50 cents or something like that, which is like amazing. I, I'm trying to imagine how they ended up at a grocery store. Uh, I, I love his story about how he got the money to buy it. He, him and his friends would collect uh, reci- cans for recycling and get money from that. That's so cool. He said it yeah, taught him the right. value of hard work. There you go. And he mentions, I like the S book for one reason, Starfire. <laughs> <laughs> that is we'll not, an opinion, not an opinion shagged by, uh, shared oops, by everyone here on the podcast. I will say she is very attractive. Uh, beyond that, I can't stand that character. Okay. Uh, Frank, he says, I am, this is Diablo Frank, by the way, because I'm not into Plastic Man as a horn dog since he started out as a serious character, character and has since become almost solely defined by as a perverted goofball. For once, yes, please, Jeff Johns, give me a darkened revamp. I think they are revamping Plastic Man. Yeah, they are. They, they, the did, they did bring him into the new 52 in a sort of roundabout way. Yeah, but I think there's something in the near future where, like, yeah. big, anyway. You're up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, my first comic book girlfriend was Katie Pride. I'm not alone. Woo-hoo! I'm not alone. Show of hands. My so, hands up. So I've always had. Thank God. So I've always had an affection for Phantom Girls, her distant pan continuity cousin. That said, <laughs> Shag's totally out of line with his rant against Jaime Hernandez, whose work I enjoyed did a fine job on Tina. I could have sworn there was an article or documentary, comic book confidential, or something where Lois Bros were asked to do work by a big publisher, and the one word answer was no, followed by a dial tone. <laughs> guess not outstanding suggestion by Rob for Lost Legion which have added a far greater diversity to a team already lauded for it including body types thank you Frank 
Uh, he said, I've never been able to find a reason to give a crap about Phantom Lady beyond her being repeatedly blessed with artists far greater than she ever deserved. <laughs> with Dave Stevens being the pinnacle of that phenomena. Uh, so, there you go. I like how he points out, this, this is kind of touching on the whole thing about how long we take. He says, three entries in 33 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, brother. He did go off to a slow start on that one. Yeah. He said, I've always tried to respect the weirdness of the original Brotherhood of Evil without actually being into them. Well, I was more open to the second model, despite being very conscious of how blandly conventional they were for the X-Men Titans type foes. Amongst a group, I've struggled to appreciate for what they're meant. Hold on. Uh, amongst a group, I've struggled to appreciate for what they meant to the teams they fought. I've had the least trouble with Phobia, a solid performer in her weight class of malevolence. For once, Perez didn't go way overboard on a design, and it works as a result. Also like the combination of Patton and Kiesel. Chuck Patton drew many of the tales of the Titan stories during the gap years before the reprints of the Bacter series kicked in. Hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Um, this is, uh, I agree that Poison Ivy's entry was weak by Steve Root's standards. If Ivy really does sell weed, for once the line about drugs finding terrorism, uh, funding terrorism would ring true. <laughs> uh, let's see, okay. Um... Uh, you go ahead. Okay, okay. He says, The Power of Smith logo is superior to everything else on the page, including Infantino, Infantino's Ken Doll Anatomy. How many torsos can you fit under that crotch? <laughs> uh, he says, I don't know how often Art Adams drew Who's Who entries, but if it was less than five times in every issue, you're not allowed to post... Hold on. If, it, if it's less often than five in every issue, you're not allowed to not post every Art Adams Who's Who entry in your Tumblr. <laughs> So what he's saying is, if Art Adams is in Who's Who, I damn well better put it on the Tumblr, because I did not put Punch and Judy, or Julie, up there. Sorry no, about that. that's right. Uh, uh, Art, Art Adams drew Zook for me, and the image was stolen by somebody to become the header for the Comic, Vi comic Vine Zoom entry, a Zook entry, which is a win for the general public. <laughs> uh, he wrote, it's 2014. Why is, the road, why is the word anthology even in our vocabulary for future comics when digital downloads are where we're actually going? Produce a trial issue for undervalued character X, release it free or reduce price on the Internet, get immediate feedback, and progress to discontinuation or profits from there. I think that's an absolutely valid point. I, I am flummoxed then as to why, well, not why, but the fact that DC just canceled the Adventures of Superman digital comic. Uh, if they can't sell Superman as a digital comic, I'm not sure that, you know, Plastic Man or something is going to work. But I agree. There is no need to do an anthology anymore where you can just put out little short bursts of digital comics featuring your lesser characters. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I want to give thanks out to um, some folks who pipped us on their website. Uh, Speed Force talked about the Who's Who podcast. Thank you very much. The Plastic Man Tumblr, which is... Yeah, it's, it's plasticman.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find links on our websites for that. Thank you very much. Mention us. Fortress of Baileytude. Mention us in his Who's Who run. And, of course, Siskoid on his Who's This. And finally, we actually got mentioned on Frank's NERG website when he was talking about um, some various artists. So, cool. Thank you for that, guys. Woo, man. Get it this again. A, this is a bumper-sized issue uh, episode right here, folks. Uh, we're down to our final six. Oh my gosh! I hadn't thought about that. No, seven, well, seven, seven, seven. Yeah, but okay. well, it's not the final seven. No. It's the final seven of this incarnation right, of right, episode. Right. So, what do we do when we get to episode? You know, the twenty seventh episode. Do we re like uh, like when we're in update eighty seven? Does it does it become episode twenty eight? Yes. Or is it? Yeah. No. No. I don't want to start. I hate starting over numbering. 
I it's not gonna be, you don't want to do it like Marvel and call it Update 87 number no, one? No, I do not. No. All right. No, I just want to do Who's Who episode. No, that's it. Let's okay, fine. Fair enough. All right, folks, that's going to do it for now. Uh, you can find Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. He's also on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram, all under the same handle. If you want to send us email, Rob, what's that email address? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. And honestly, if you want to get mentioned on the show, the best way to reach us is via email or post comments on the website. Because uh, for the who's who, we, don't, we, we do read the, the, the Twitter and the Facebook and stuff like that. But the majority of the comments we pull for discussion are going to come from there. We're, we're looking for more long form for this show. Just letting you know that. Um, where can they find the 15 or so entries on Tumblr? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Fantastic. Until fo- next time, folks, uh, this is going to do it. And with that, Rob, I think we just say, who's next? Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of a DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. The debate is between Robin and Red Tornado for the feature character on this Ernie Cologne cover of Who's Who number 19. Quite honestly, it shouldn't be either of them. It should be Cliff Steele. That's right, Robot Man. He's the only one really doing anything on this cover, and that thing that he's doing is chasing down Ray Shagul, right in the middle of the back cover. Except Red Star gets in the way there of Robot Man actually giving Ra Shagul the what for. Had this cover been done by George Perez, I got a feeling that maybe we would have gotten a little bit better Cliff Steele featured prominently on the cover of Who's Who number 19, which is exactly where he belongs. <laughs>